0: Welcome to the Mega Blast Podcast. I'm your host, Jason McDonald. My goal is to get to the truth through conversation. The Mega Blast Podcast is produced by Arts and Opinion, an online journal housed at the Archives of Canada. Visit us at artsandopinion.com. I hope you enjoy today's guest. welcome andrew Cadell. how you doing i'm good thank you so thanks for coming on the mega blast podcast um i just wanted to start quickly with just about you you are a journalist and a politician i wonder if you could tell our listeners a bit about your background
1: well i like to throw in i was also a diplomat uh, although i'm not terribly diplomatic i was uh, a foreign <laughs> service officer for uh, for about 15 years with the Department of Foreign Affairs as it is now uh, the Department of Global Affairs. Wow. I got a little bit pretentious uh, a few years ago. Um, but before that, yeah, I worked as, uh, as a reporter in radio in, uh, in Montreal, Quebec City, Calgary, uh, Montreal again, uh, St. John's, Newfoundland, uh, Ottawa, and um, and I worked as a, a political assistant in Toronto for a very brief period before I really hated Toronto so much I had to leave <laughs> and then go back to Montreal to work for CBC. <laughs> yeah. I so yeah. That's... So I and then I got involved in politics. I started really dur- sort of during the uh, the referendum campaign in 1980, uh, and I ended up working for a little bit with the Quebec Liberals, and then I worked on uh, uh, the staff of the opposition leader in Newfoundland, and I worked in uh, and that led to working for a minister in the Trudeau, the first Trudeau government, uh, Bob Kaplan, who was Solicitor General of Canada. And, um, and then I ended up running by a complete fluke for the Ontario legislature, nearly won, and went to Queen's Park. And then uh, the next, wow. my next political foray was, I was a town councillor in Montreal West for four years. And, um, and then I ended up going to uh, uh, meeting my wife and uh, having children and going to Geneva with her and working for the United Nations. And then came back and became uh, uh, a diplomat but uh, I still had the political bent so I uh, ran in 2011 in, uh, in the riding of uh, which is uh, where I my house is right now, um, on the south shore of the St Lawrence, uh, east of Quebec City. Wow. That's and scary. then I ran for the town council here, and i I'm the first Anglophone ever elected Wow uh, in the in Kamaraska. There were two others that were acclaimed, but I actually had to run and I beat the uh, my opponent uh, by uh, the largest majority of anybody who uh, who ran uh, by fifty one votes Wow and um and i um uh, i'm I'm now serving on the the town council and uh, it's you know it's a very satisfying sort of thing to do and i of course, all of the work that I do is in it's in French, and nobody here speaks uh, speaks English. As I, I like to say, you pas un chou qui Anyway, for anyone
0: listening who doesn't oh. speak French, what he just said was, "There's there's not even a cat around here who speaks English."
1: That's correct, right? right? Yeah. Something like that. So you're the cat, you know? The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I do have I do have some relatives that uh, are here on in in the yeah. in the summer, but that's pretty well it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, well, um, that's quite a journey. I just, to, just a quick question. You, you said that you ran in Ontario, but you didn't win. But you went to Queens Park. I just, I'm not sure if I went
1: to that. Queens Park as an assistant to a minister, and the okay. minister okay. Um, was a uh, 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 well. I mean, he was a nice enough person, but he was the sort of person who spent hours and hours and hours working on speeches for him, and then he would just wing it. Okay, and and, uh, <laughs> and he also he also <laughs> had he also had twelve children and oh, was fervently opposed to abortion. And and without telling me or any of his staff, well, he's just a couple of people in his staff, or the premier's office, he went to a protest at Queens Park, uh, <laughs> protesting against abortion. And I, I actually phoned, uh, when I found out about this, I phoned Eugene Forsey, who was, you know, th- at that time, uh, one of the great constitutional experts and said, is it possible for an individual to protest against his, his or her government uh, at the same time as being in cabinet. And he said, no, the cabinet speaks with one voice and is one body. And you cannot be contrary to that, you know, to that position. Mm. So um, I, I phoned the premier's office and said, look, just so you know, uh, this is happening. And in case he gets caught uh, on the, in the media, you're going to have to explain this. So, uh, Did so he... he- did he did, he did not get caught okay. because okay. he wasn't that well-known at the time because they only the uh, Peterson government had only just been elected. And uh, so he was very lucky he and his wife were not caught on camera. And so it, it didn't become a big issue. But uh, okay. it was a point of contention between the two of us. But, you know, you, you, just, you just can't do that sort of thing. And um, anyway, it wasn't long before I left because I just, uh, I, I, I couldn't work with somebody who was not going to be, uh, you know, respecting the sort of point of view that I had.
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm guessing it wasn't necessarily his stance on abortion as much as the, all this erratic behavior and also opposing. I suppose that stepping out of line. It sounds like like well, the reason I'm I want to be very clear about this mm-hmm. is I, I interviewed Roy Epen. I don't know if you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just and we we talked about abortion because he's on the record as being pro-life and so I wanted to know what exactly he meant by that and he said that he said I don't want to change any laws I am perfectly happy I've rec- I'm a doctor and I've recommended women for abortions I'm not I just myself personally I believe that you know it's better for life and as he was describing it I it struck me that that his pro-life stance sounds exactly like my pro-choice stance
1: you know what i mean it was very interesting i I don't think anybody's really pro-abortion you know i mean yeah nobody ever really would want to have an abortion uh, for any reason but obviously there should be women should have the 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 right to control their own body
0: well this i mean just the reason i want to be very clear is that the difference between roy Epen and that guy if i understand it would be Roy Eapin is not going to agitate for any laws to be changed to prevent women to have abortions. But that guy was. Oh, yeah. And, 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 the, and, and it program. was ironic.
1: That guy happened to be a minister right. in the yeah, government exactly. that could change right. the law. <laughs> so, you know, the oh, other really? pro- thing. Other- yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, That's why okay. you can't speak against your own government. The other oh. problem is was that he had 12 children and three of them were working for him. Wow! No, sorry, sorry, sorry. Three of their, sorry, two of the, uh, a boyfriend of one of his daughters, and two of uh, two of the sons-in-law were working for him. So that's a little bit conflict of interest. A a little bit of nepotism, Um, yeah, yeah,
0: just a tiny bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's it's there's a few things that would strike me about that is that was in what the 1980s? It sounds like it was the 1980s. Okay, so so the 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 abortion issue, I believe um, the laws in Canada to allow women fully legally to have abortions were in the 1980s, right? That's correct, yes. 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 So, like, it was very recent. So at that time, it would be perfectly reasonable to think
1: that the law could have been turned back, right? It might have been. I mean, the thing is that there was no law because the Supreme Court had decided. And I believe Morgenthaler was in the early 80s. So it would have been post-Morgenthaler. Right, right. There's Morgan
0: Tuller yeah. and the well, court. Yeah. Well, The reason I mention it is that I mean the difference between that guy and Epen is I mean there are many things, but one of them would be that Epen is living in a time where people don't really question abortion so much in this country at least. I mean even you know most of the right wing people, as I understand it, have basically accepted the fact that you know I, I think late term abortions are illegal anyway um i believe like as
1: i they're not, the law, they're not they're not there yeah. there's no real control on abortion and their uh, late-term abortions are still legal and the other problem that arises is uh sex uh, uh you know the choosing sex according to uh uh well what your what your background might be i mean a lot of people in uh in uh, asia south asia are uh, don't want to have girls like right. girl children right. as they call them okay. so so that they abort when they find out they've got a girl they do it uh, they do the uh they do the test and find out that they've got a girl, and so they abort the girl, and that's yeah. uh, that's a serious problem. And of course, not having any kind of restrictions on abortion, uh, you get uh, that kind of that kind of result. And it's astonishing in this day and age, especially in Canada, that that would be possible, but it does happen. Yeah. So, and then the other problem is, of course, what if a, if, a, if a physician conducts a, um, a third, you know, a late term abortion, and uh, and there are problems. Mm-hmm. um that uh, uh the which are the result of it being uh so late in 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 the in the you know in the, in the in the pregnancy that it co- might cause problems for the mother yeah. that they 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 could be liable so i think that there there has to be some way of protecting physicians and and of protecting uh pre- preventing people from uh from from doing se- sex selection, yeah, but yeah, you know it's yeah. such it's such a third rail of Canadian politics oh, and so every and, and, and political system nobody nobody that. really wants to go there. I've written about it uh, because of those issues being being a concern. Yeah. Um, but if some, I mean, whoever can figure out the way of. Of, of doing that to protect both physicians and to ensure that uh, the mother's life is never endangered and that, that, that we don't have sex selection. Well, you know, it would be, it would be, it would be quite something to accomplish that, but right now I don't think I, it's possible. I think, I think the
0: person, the person who could do that is a leprechaun. Because it, the, uh, in other words, well, that person or, does not or, exist is what yes. I mean. Yeah, no, they'd it's, have it's to be a total genius. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just, just uh, you know, I, I want to just, I want to move on to yeah. some other stuff. But I, I quickly sure. want to say what's interesting about abortion to me is first of all, when I was younger, I grew up in a very you know, left wing kind of, my parents were hippies and stuff. So my mother was very sort of left-leaning. And so I, I was taught very early on that the woman should choose. And I still believe that, I mean, I genuinely. But I also believed until I was in my thirties that people who were anti-abortion were venal bad people who hated women and all this kind of stuff. That's what some I Some of thought. them are. Some of them some are. Some might be, but I, I don't think, I mean, just, it, it's it's also one thing, some might be like possible, but I also have learned that many women oppose abortion. So that strikes me as odd, right? Um, because I mean, just, it's sort of, I don't know. It's kind of like if, if it's anti-women, why would, a uh, uh, you know, not a tiny, it's not a tiny minority of people who are against abortion, right? It's not like, it's not like it's like 90%. Well, not in Canada, more.
1: certainly. I think because, right. because let's face it, we really kind of have moved on. People have been, it's one of those things where individual choice is considered to be paramount, and I think that uh, uh, you know when any society which decides well what you, you know what you choose to do with your body is you know it has to be accepted. Now, of course, the there are problems with that. If you decide that you're not going to be vaccinated, if you decide you're going to be a drug addict, if you decide that you're going to uh, you're going to take. Uh, uh oxycontin um you know you're you're actually in a socialized medicine medical system it's it's a problem but in the case of uh women who decide that they either want to dis- they, they i mean the the, the the whole point of choice is you can choose to keep a child or not have the child and that's the issue and yeah, yeah. of course and the same thing with birth control you can choose to be pregnant or not to be pregnant and um yeah i mean i you know, i, I I totally
0: agree. I, I take the my body, my choice very seriously. I, Me too. I, I, women, Me too. Yeah, and
1: I think- I mean, was, I used to I, lobby. I, I had a sticker that I put on my parents' uh, car in the early 1970s, which was repeal section 251. Right. And section 251 was the part of the criminal code that yeah. said that uh, abortion I, was still legal. I, I think it
0: should also apply to vaccinations as well, because I think I that think the principle should be clear. I think we should go to people and try and convince them and not force people you know, but uh, but I don't want to get on too much on the vaccination. But I just think I I, I really appreciate the very clear principle of my body, my choice. It should be it should be um, abroad. But one thing, final thing I wanted to say about abortion is that it seems different from other social issues in the sense that if you go back to the 1960s, and you look at most of the social issues that have moved, where the opinion has moved, say civil rights in the U.S. for blacks, right? For example, uh, indigenous rights in Canada for the indigenous population. You have, um, uh, you know, um, um, uh, there's another one. um, Oh God, not women's rights, yes, women's rights. And yes, the most important one would be gay marriage. They've all basically moved where the right has moved towards the center basically the overton window has moved the left the progressive view has moved into the mainstream let's say but abortion and so basically people don't really even question those things anymore certainly you know but abortion it strikes me that it can't really be fully resolved because basically people are using two different axioms right? I mean, it's yeah. like me and you are using the axiom that the woman has a right to choose what to do with her body. So we believe that the fetus is, is a part of that woman's body, right? But it is perfectly reasonable to say that the fetus is, is a separate individual. You know, I, I don't see that as an incoherent point of view. I don't think I, I can't say that it's wrong, if you know what I mean, right? Now, I don't think personally, I don't think we should make laws on that necessarily, but I just don't think that it will be resolved the way the other ones like I don't I think it's possible in 50 years people are still going to be arguing about abortion, whereas civil rights or something or, you know, Uh, minimum wage being different for men and women like my I had an uncle in Saskatchewan who told me that they owned a gas station and in the in the 60s and there was a dollar for uh, for uh, women and a dollar 10 for men or something like that so to do exactly the same job legally women were discriminated against right um and and that's something that's resolved right it's like no we're not doing like you know if you're doing exactly the same thing but um okay um Just to move on, I wanted to jump to your um, Canadian party of Quebec that you founded. Um, I'm curious if you could talk about that. It seems like the media is spinning it as a protest party. I've seen some articles to this effect. I don't know what your experience has been with the media and the party. and. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about the foundation of that and what its goals are, and uh, you know, and those kinds of things. Do you think you're being mistreated by the media? Is that something I
1: thought I saw something like that? Well, I mean, the thing is that right now i'm I'm with the task force, and the task force is uh, is is nonpartisan. So we can't really comment too much about uh, about politics one way or the other. Okay. Um, uh, but, as, but I did, I mean, I did help found the party. There's no question of that. And there was a reason for that, which that that we felt that the uh, there was a penury of uh, of of uh, response or or support for the Anglophone communities, uh, the concerns of the Anglophone community among the mainstream political parties. And I think that, uh, Given that uh, the, the it's been I don't know something like four or five months since the party was founded, for it to be a credible alternative and to be in the position of uh, possibly winning at least a couple of seats in the national assembly, it's quite an extraordinary uh, rise and and it's a it reflects, you know the 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 fact that there was a vacuum that people wanted to uh, wanted to fill. So I think that it's 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 a very positive sort of development in terms of. Uh, you know the the sort of things like uh, Desirée McGraw said. Well, you know this is just a, a, a an interest group uh, parading as a political party. Well, you know that's that's easy to say, and it's the sort of opportunistic comments that people make when they're in politics to try to yeah. take you know to yeah. to put down the uh, the opposition. But you know any the fact that they're actually saying things like that is a sign that they're that they. they that they're worried exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. competition. So, so they don't want. It's competition, actually kind of. Right? It's actually kind of flattering. Really. Yeah, when you think yeah. About it. So well, they don't so want competition,
0: I, right? I mean, they, 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 right is if I understand you correctly, they're worried about competition taking votes away.
1: Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not. It's not like the uh, like the CAC is going to move up the middle in McGee <laughs> yeah. <Hitch> or Darcy <laughs> McGee because the, like 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 I don't know if you listened to CJD yesterday, but uh, I I plugged it in on my phone, so I was listening to it while I was driving from Quebec City. And uh, it was quite interesting. They had a phone-in poll. And of course, you can always rig po- phone-in polls by getting your, your, your uh, partisans to phone. Right. But there were <laughs> significant, significant number of people who said they were going to vote, vote liberal. And there were, there were a good number of people who said they would vote for the Canadian Party um, and for the Conservatives. But uh, nobody, not anyone, said that they were going to vote for the CAC. Yeah, so that's you know, it's quite no. clear that the CAC <laughs> is not going to move up the middle in any of those ridings. That's so not there. That's not, their, not the way they work, they don't well, do that. I mean, they, I, mean they, I mean, the fact that the fact that Legault himself would intervene to take English off of their website is just a sign about how narrow and how nationalistic they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just I mean, talk about I mean, it's actually pretty stupid, too, because what you're saying is you're going to uh, ignore 1.2 million potential voters. I mean, like who yeah. does that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's I, I want to return to some of those numbers that, later on because I have some questions about that. So we we'll put those to the side. But I would just say quickly that Legault seems to be very and I'm not making any excuses for him or trying to say it's good or bad or anything. I just, you know, it's an observation. He seems to be very smart about who he's communicating to. So by taking English off the website, if I had to guess, he's probably thinking that's going to shore up votes among his base. He's not, he's going to shore up more votes by doing that than he is going to gain by keeping it on there or trying to reach out to Anglophones. If you understand what I mean, I think if i understand it now again that's not to excuse it I, I don't agree with that kind of thing i mean just just as um, a similar thing that happened with him was i think it was a, a week or two a couple of weeks ago he made some sort of a so-called gaffe about you know uh, some sort of a They people were calling him out as a racist and a friend of mine well,
1: <laughs> well no but
0: just he made so
1: many gaffes i mean like well, really i just
0: i just wanted to say something quickly about the gaffe because a friend of mine arrived at work and she had been listening to cjd and he was she was telling me this and how she she said that he he said oh i misspoke and all that he was saying he misspoke but it occurred to me as soon as she said it that it wasn't a gaffe, right he knew exactly what he was doing he says the thing that he knows people are going to jump on him for and then and then basically when you know they jump on him he says oh i'm you know i i was misunderstood and all this kind of stuff but what he's really doing is he's signaling to his people in the sagina i got your back you know, something like that's what I think he's doing. That's my personal view of what he's actually doing now. I mean, we could you and I probably would think that may be sort of an ugly way to do politics and all this kind of stuff. I mean, we could make our value judgments about that. But don't you think that's a reasonable analysis of what his goals are and how he's playing the political game? Or I don't know, maybe, if,
1: you know, it's- I, I, I think I think that he's he's either stupid, crazy or a bigot because. Uh, it's not you know it's, it's maybe too clever by half by saying saying well you know he's he's really appealing to those really extreme uh, bigots in the in the pq or in the in the conservative party by saying <laughs> ridiculous things you know um, like i don't even think i mean like the i'm not even I mean, he's, saying
0: that the people in the Saginay who might hear that and be like okay he's got our back are necessarily bigoted i think that they're just um, this is something I want to return to later on. I think there's just a lot of concern. There's, you know, a lot of sort of like, uh, you know, uh, inquietude, you know, in, in
1: the population. But well, but yeah, but yeah, but, but the know. thing is that that 50,000 people coming in, uh, or 75,000 people coming into Quebec in a population of eight eight and a half million people, it's a drop in the bucket. And 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 you know, employers are desperate, desperate yeah. for people. Yeah. And the and the the the, the Conseil du Patronat and the Chambre de Commerce both said, yeah. We, you know, we're going to need a million 90, people by They, want, by, they, they by
0: requested ninety thousand. Ninety
1: thousand, because actually. we're going to need a million people by twenty thirty, yeah. uh, to to come into Quebec, and the birth rates are not increasing. So you know, you the only way you're going to do it is by immigration. And I remember I was a reporter on the, at the National Assembly when uh, René Lévesque was premier and Camille Lorrain, I did several interviews with him, and they talked about how because the birth rate was declining, there was a need for immigration to replace. Uh, the 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 people in the birth rate the, the uh, to replace Quebecers to become good Quebecers to become francophone and that's why they were going to change the way the school system uh, integration worked. So uh, you know we're now I don't know like forty odd years later and uh, look what what happens they've moved the goalposts and they're saying. Well, you can be an immigrant. You can speak French, and you can be speaking French in the workforce. And 68% of you were, you know, I mean, there's a dem- demographer who says that uh, it's actually more than that. Nelson Widman, I think it is. Anyway, has said uh, it's more like about 90% who speak uh, French uh, on a regular basis, but they're not, but they're, you know, they may be speaking their mother tongue and French in the in at home. Anyway, uh, so now it's not good enough. You 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 have to be Québécois de Souche. And you have to be uh, somebody who uh, whose roots go back to uh, 1650, and to, in order to be accepted as a francophone, and you know that that's ridiculous, and and so. Uh, yeah, and, and then, and then you know, then there's the whole thing about well, immigrants may reduce the social cohesion. You know, we don't want p- immigrants because they could be violent. And well, you know, you're you're tarring a whole group of people, and now, like in Kempeskä, I mean, I'm going to write a column about this. Do, do you think that if Legault is saying that uh, immigrants may be prone to violence, do you think that they're going to encourage? Uh, people from other countries to come to places like Camorrasco or Montmagny or, or saint jean paul Jolie. Well, I doubt it because now he's put the brand on them. But they're they're violent and they undermine social cohesion, which is ridiculous. Well, I think people can make... And it racist I, too.
0: I, I, I mean, it's, um, you, know, I, you know, I think people can make up their own minds about that. The straight fact is um, immigrants are not going to those smaller places which in fact is a in, in terms of the labor shortage I mean if' we're, if we're just putting aside all this these charges of racism and all that stuff and just look at the la- just look at the labor shortage that's something that's a problem in the sense that immigrants are going to go to the big city typically right which means that that I mean there's even a labor, sh- labor shortage here in Montreal where I am. Of course. But uh, but it's much worse in in smaller, especially places where there's a lot of resource development and they need people to work in a variety of different things. It's a very serious problem uh, in other parts. um, But I want to return to some of those numbers uh, in a little bit. But first, I just wanted to sort of continue with your Canadian party and just move into the political landscape. We've already started talking about it a little bit. It seems like the political landscape has shifted. You know, um, in, that, in two thousand and eighteen, the CAQ was the first party, as, as you as you know, since you know for fifty years that took power that wasn't either. Uh, the Parti Quebecois, or what I call the Big Red Machine, right, which is a centuries-old yeah. uh, political machine, both in Quebec and federally as well, right? It's it, I, I think in Canada the federal the federal Liberals are a little bit like what the Conservatives are in the United Kingdom. They're like the party that has always been there, never changes its brand. It's I mean not never changes, but just it's always there. The, the, and, and, and they've been in power much more often. I, I did a content analysis of 1900 to 2000 you know, federally, and it was 70 to 30 for the liberals versus wh- whatever the other is, because the other side is sometimes it's the progressive conservatives, sometimes it's, you know, I mean, there's different incarnations that it takes, right, and then it comes around, but do you think, and in this election here in Quebec, the big red machine seems to be in—I don't even know if I would call it serious trouble. That's not a strong enough term. I mean, it's—it's it's, they're so far down, given where they were, um, you know. And so we have the CAQ right now capitalizing on that, uh, and the 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 Liberals, as you as we pointed out earlier, we have the Parti Canadien, which is you, and the Conservatives. We've got. Uh, The conservatives are relatively new um, and they're vying for the other space, the kind of federalist uh, space in in Quebec. And, you know, and I just wondered if you had any comments. I mean, do you think that's because that can't continue forever? Right. I mean, the, the CAQ, this can't, you know. It, it can't just remain like this. At some point, there's going to be another party other than the CAQ that are going to take power. So I just wondered if you had any comments and where do you think
1: that's going to go? With that shifting landscape. I don't know. It's not really a question. Well, uh, my my feeling is that the CAQ is actually kind of a huge disappointment for a lot of people. They promised that they would depoliticize Quebec, that they would not be like the PQ or the liberals and that they would focus on the economy and not have a referendum for at least uh, a decade. Uh, and 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 then we get this nationalistic party with the Jean Barrette, uh you know attacking everything from the school boards to uh, people with uh, uh, hijabs and uh, and and trying to regulate uh, uh, people's uh, beliefs and, and behavior and 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 then uh, a, a language law that uh, is is clearly I mean like almost every single item of it is uh, is uh, is unconstitutional so uh, it's not just a disappointment. It's kind of a betrayal of what they were supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. The language law.
0: I, I, I confess that I, I try and stay out of all the day-to-day, you know, back and forth I see on social media and stuff like that, just because it's so tiresome. But, and so that leaves me a little bit uninformed. But I have been able to cobble together a kind of an understanding of what the law. And it strikes me the things that are extremely problematic in the law. I'm going to name the ones I think are are problematic, and the ones I think are not quite so bad. But the, but the real problematic ones are the search and seizure of uh, if there's a snitch line, and you and people apparently could call if they're in a business where people are not speaking French, and they could snitch. And apparently, the police can go in and seize computers looking for evidence of that without any probable cause other than the snitch line that's really seriously problematic in my. of course it is Sure, Uh, sure the other thing that that is not so much of a um i don't know if it's problematic it's just odd and hard to enforce would be doctors this thing of like i could go to a doctor and and speak english i could ask for that because i i not because of my race, <laughs> not because of my race and being actually my my family is actually, you know, British in origin. That's not the reason. Okay, This is why I object to using the term racist in some senses. It's because I went to school in English in Canada right that's right and so this is people seem to misunderstand you understand this bill 101 is doesn't say immigrants can't send their kids to school in in english it says you must have gone to an english school in 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 canada in order to send your kids to an english school so the same is applying there the only thing i don't understand about that is how that's supposed to work i mean if, if someone goes into a doctor's office and they're alone with the doctor consulting and you know, they want to speak and the doctor's cool with speaking English or whatever, or, you know, or some other language, I I don't really understand how that would work. You know, would somebody, you know, you know, I just, I don't really follow how that is supposed to even function. Exactly. I sort of understand it, you know, in a context where there's more than two people, like if there was a group of people talking and, and, you know, and, and um, the, the language of the hospital is French and, 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 you know, they might want to keep, you know, to keep it kind of like in, in our meetings. I mean, you know, the department meetings we do at, I'm a Seja uh, professor. And so I'm we're in the languages department, right? So many of us are either Anglophones or, you know, uh, we were English teachers, in, you know, so or whatever. So we're fluent in English. But when we do our meetings, we conduct everything in French. We do it all in French. And it's kind of like, you know, what if we could just start doing them in English maybe, but that would be you know I I think it would be against the Rosemont policy but also it's just like we're supposed to be doing things in French right it's kind of I don't know it's like why would we do them in English you know I I don't know so I'm not sure I'm not sure I just I just wonder if it sort of makes me wonder but some of the things that you know some of their proposals for example the thing about um the Sejabs teaching i think to get a degree if you're at dawson or vanier students would be required to take three of their core courses in in french something like that the only thing i've heard about that that i think is unreasonable is to impose it too quickly which i believe the liberals um added to the li- the liberals said oh you know uh, yeah sure we're going to do that but we want to start doing it right away they were trying to Be more nationalist than the CAQ or something I didn't even understand why they proposed that but, but I don't really understand what's wrong with that in principle and the objection that um, it would not be a good idea because students coming out of the English speaking English language schools in, in, in Montreal and in Quebec, are they don't speak French well enough is more of an indictment on the English language education system for not preparing people properly for the, you know, I don't actually see what's wrong with trying to do that. It might be a little complicated logistically. I don't really know how it would work. Right. But I think it's actually not a bad idea to encourage the idea that if you grow up in Quebec and you go to Seja, then maybe some of your courses should be in French just as part of the, I don't know. But here's,
1: here's, here's, here's the problem. I mean, I'm fluent now and I'm 70. I was pretty well fluent when I was 25, but I was not fluent at 17 or 18. There's no question of that. And that, granted, I was coming out of the PSVGM system, which was pretty pitiful, and I had to uh, s- essentially learn French on my own. But fr- uh, uh, the acquisition of a language is something that comes more easily over time. You know, they've they've done MRIs of people that are fluently multilingual and they, their brains heat up in different places when they're fluent in, in in certain languages. And so there's a period where you're actually translating from one language to another and you're you're gradually adapting. Now my my, my own children went to French school from the time they were in well from in, in nursery school uh, and, and daycare, so that in, in Geneva and then in Ottawa. So they they did all of their education in French of uh, in primary and secondary school. So they had to write and read and speak and it was never really a problem for them and they didn't have an accent in either language. So um, they, they they did not they would not have a problem being in that situation but if you are being educated in English and French is something that you're doing as a major part of your studies but not the dominant part and you're not having getting all your classes in, in French then it would be difficult. And that could affect your marks going into university or where you might be placed. And it's extremely, extremely competitive market for marketplace for students that are going into, uh, into post-secondary education into universities across the country or across the world. So if you got, if you're, if you're taking, even if you're taking history, or if you're taking biology, let's say, in French, and your command of French is decent, and you get an 82 instead of a 92 that could affect your future enormously it shouldn't but it could i mean they should be taking into account that you're taking the the class in, in your second language but all they see is the mark they don't see what uh, what language you've been taught in so that's that's one thing the second thing is that um English sachets are meant to be for the English community. They're built for are the they? English community. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I mean they're, yeah, okay. they were I'll built for the English for community. Like I was that? a student at I was a student at Dawson. I was a, I was the very first cohort uh, September 22nd, 1969, the very first sage-ship in Quebec at Dawson at the old Frost Chemical factory in, in Lower Westmount. Uh, and um and and, and just sort of bordering on Saint-Henri. And um, we were an English sejup. There were sejeps before, but they were not uh, English. They were all in French, and there was no English taught in those sejups. So ours was the very first. And then there was John Abbott, and then there was Vanier, and then there was Marianopolis, and then you know, and then and on and on and on. So that you know, point. if you're if yeah. you're going to a uh, an institution where the language that is taught is supposed to be English then that's that's the language that's going to be taught. If you want to go to a French stage, up, you could take courses at another at a, another stage up and take them in French if you want. It's certainly your option. And 10% of, of the students that are graduates of uh, of anglophone schools are going to French Sejaps. You know, this is something that people don't know. So there's no reason to be to be mixing them. It may be more convenient for some people who have like allophones who have gone to school in French that they're going to continue taking their their subjects in French. But it, it, if they want to do that, they should be optional. It also affects the jobs of the profs because you're going to have a lot of uh, Anglophone profs who may be from elsewhere. They could be from the US, they could be from Ontario, they could be from Britain, and they're experts in their area. And they got PhDs, but they don't speak French. So immediately, they're not going to be able to teach anymore. So it, it, it really creates a huge upheaval in the system. And there's no reason for it. All you really have to do is say, look, if you want to take... Uh, uh, a course in French, you can, and it can be optional. And, or you can go to a French CIGEP and you can take that course, because let's face it, I mean, Dawson isn't really that far away from Vieux-Moyal. You know, it's just a little bit down the subway system, down the metro. And, or you could go to, uh, God knows, if there's a, a dozen of other, other, or at Vanier, you can go to CIGEP Saint-Laurent, which is right next door. So, you know, there's there's all sorts of options. So there's no reason. It's as they say, it's a problem uh, that that uh, or it's a solution uh, that that didn't didn't have a problem in the begin with. and And the only reason that it's being done uh, is, and and I'll tell you the reason that it was part of the liberal platform. It's one of their twenty seven or twenty six uh, ideas or principles uh, to improve French. Was to have this, so it wasn't something that was invented out of whole cloth or what came out of out of out of nowhere. It was in their platform, and they had approved it because they had a much more nationalistic uh, platform, and they wanted to impose this. Well, so then they opposed it, and the and all of a sudden, the people in the Anglophone community said, "What? Where did this come from?" And 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 David Birnbaum, who was you know had been t- had told everybody, "Look at our twenty-seven principles. These are the things that we believe in." And I read them and I thought, oh, my God, this is incredible. This is like this is ridiculous. But but suddenly people discovered it. And what happened? Well, David Birnbaum was thrown under the bus because he was blamed for this, even though it was something that was accepted and voted on and supported by the Liberal Party of Quebec. Yeah, there's a couple of things I would say there. I I would just
0: reiterate that i think that this shows if people are coming out of the english language school system in a place that's you know what 80 percent or whatever french speaking and they're not able to be more fluent than many are now i mean you know when i when i talk to people about this I, i'm sort of a constant i'm constantly surprised to find people around in the anglophone community who don't speak French very well, or don't, you know, I mean, I have, I I knew one guy some years ago when I lived in park extension, who, who, his parents were immigrants and somehow his mother was from Trinidad and gotten him to go to you know school in English. I don't know how she did that, but she did. And, uh, and, you know, he he was unable to find work because his French was really bad, you know, and there are other people, my guy, I know um, his, he's half Italian. So I was asking him about his family and he said that his cousins in Anjou, they don't really speak it that well, and, and you think like, "What? There's something weird about that to me." It, you know, the other way around is not. So <laughs> if a person grows up in Montreal and they're French-speaking, and then they don't speak English that well, it's like, well, you know, it's like you know, that sort of makes sense. You know, it's, in some senses, it's less strange, right? So there's something going wrong in the English language school system
1: but but you know jason working, some of us you know. some of us some of us are better at languages than others no but but the, right? and, and language, be, is yeah. language is a subject language is a subject languages there are some people who are really really good at biology and there's some people that are really good at engineering and then there's some people who are really good at languages i mean there are four million people in quebec who don't speak english and we're not saying to them hey you got to learn yeah. english we're saying but as i said you have every <laughs> right to work in french you got every right to live your life in french and we don't yeah want you to have to either assimilate or to have to learn this language in order for you to get ahead. And, and there's no question that I believe that, you know, 110%. But there are lots of people in the Anglophone community that just, they don't have the, the, the linguistic skills. And I understand that. And, and then there are people that they didn't learn it properly or, or they, you know, they, they, they were focused on their own thing or they're not that, you know, like language is like, it's like music. It's like, you know, sometimes there are people that are tone deaf. You don't want to hear them sing. And, um, you know, I'll tell you, like I'll tell you a very funny story. (laughs) Once when I was in Quebec city, um, Somebody, uh, I was, I was there during Carnaval, and um, and it, which is, you know, it's filled with uh, uh, with uh, Anglophones visiting from elsewhere. And somebody came up to me. And I was with a colleague who was francophone, and uh, somebody came up to me and said, "Excusez-moi, pouvez-vous me dire où se trouve le Château Frontenac?" And I said, "Aha, le Château Frontenac, oui, ça se trouve au bout de cette rue-là." And the the fellow that I was with said. Uh, said uh why you know in french why are you why are you talking in that accent you know um uh, i was about you, to you, ask myself you, you, you speak, you speak much better french than that i said i said well it's just a matter of politeness you know you should speak to them in their own language <laughs> right yeah. Right. Yeah. So so I mean like it's just a question of politeness. in their propre langue. And mm-hmm. the thing is that that there are people who just like my mother spoke fluent French but her accent was abysmal because as a child she was very shy and so she had francophone friends in Quebec City. They would speak French to her, she'd speak English to them. And she understood everything, but she didn't have the courage or the confidence to be able to speak it. So gradually, if she learned to, as you know, I mean she French was was very, very good. As she went on, she uh she spoke it, but she spoke it with an accent. And it was, you know, it kind of I would kind of cringe when I heard I mean, but 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 it was if you just turn it around perfect, right? If you just turn it around,
0: I mean like like it would if, if somebody, if some person living in, you know, Ottawa or especially somewhere like Vancouver were to sort of demand that French be, you know, that, that they can live in French, it would seem strange to us, right? Be like, well, why, you know, I mean, there must be Francophones who live in Vancouver. There are probably some French schools and all that. Oh, there's hundreds but of Nobody thousands. lives in Vancouver without knowing <laughs> some English. Well, no, like, that's you know not. You know what I mean? Like, no, like actually, no, actually, no French Canadian goes well, to Vancouver and demands <laughs> that they be able to live in. The, and yet, we have we have a large swath of the
1: population here that seems to be that way. And but, but, but okay, actually, you know? actually, to, to be <laughs> to, to just to be a little bit contradictory, there's uh, there are hundreds of thousands of Chinese people in Vancouver who am yeah, putting that to without, the side because I'm without I'm without, without ever speaking French, English. Right? They yeah. without ever speaking yeah. English, so but it's I, the same sort of thing. They're people from abroad who speak a the, one of the most common languages, not the most common language in the world, which is Mandarin, and they don't feel the need to be able to speak English. Yeah, well, that's a separate issue that that we're not going to cover.
0: Like <laughs> I don't we to get onto here, but but again, it's all uh, about language. You know, it's all about the capacity to English. understand and and well,
1: and, 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 and Canada's a
0: bilingual country, so yes, so talking yes, about the yeah. rights of of the of the minority populations, and so that means. Uh, the Anglo minority in Quebec and then the French-speaking minority outside of Quebec. And yes. it's not its not symmetrical. It's not symmetrical, right? The Anglophone community in, in Quebec is larger as a proportion of the population typically than it is, except for New Brunswick, right? Is the one exception there. And you've got, and you don't have a kind of a, a sense in the rest of the country that it's sort of perfectly normal for everybody in St. Boniface, not even to understand English, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, or or speak it very well. And I think, and I just think that there's there's a little bit of this is my personal view that maybe if if we just sort of just seeded a bit of ground and said, you know what, maybe the community should be better in French. There should be yeah. people should but, be but, they should but, be brought up with the idea that they can speak <laughs> it more fluently. And it, it's not sort of fine just to graduate from school and not be able to take you know a history class in French and get a decent grade.
1: But 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 you know, Jason, we that, that's all that's all true. But as I say, when I was 17, I couldn't speak French. uh, uh, You know, I mean, I learned it essentially. I had to drag every single word I learned when I I dated a girl here who didn't speak any English. And that was the only... That's how I learned it. And then I had the confidence, then go to Cégep, take courses in French, go to university, take courses in French, and then became a reporter in Montreal, a reporter in yeah. Quebec City, and 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 lived in Geneva for five years. All of those things, they make a huge contribution. Not everybody has that sort of opportunity. But but again, language is something that's acquired over time. So you cannot compare the language skills of a 17-year-old with the language skills of a 25 or a 30-year-old. And I think the key is to give people time to be able to acquire those skills. Because when we say that 95% of the uh, population of Quebec speaks French, that means that at least 80 to 85 percent of the Anglophone community speaks French. Yeah. And and and, and speaks French well. Yeah. And and certainly among adults. I'm not, doubting, adults, that. I'm not doubting that. Among I... adults that's true. Yeah. And uh among allophones who have gone to French to school, that's all true. And there are some people now, you know, like when you look at the Anglophone community, the only the the English only speakers in in Quebec, who are they? Well they're they're people from the Caribbean. So they're Black. They're people who are Indigenous because they, they have their own Indigenous languages. And then they speak English as a second language in, I think it's 10 of the 12 First Nations communities in Quebec. It's elderly people who never, ever really learned it and and, and, and grew up in a whole different, uh, and mostly in Montreal, uh, situation. Uh, and it's people in the rural areas. Now, that's it's hard to believe. But if you go to places like uh, uh, Stansted and Eastern Townships, or you go to Gaspe. There are people. There has not been a lot of integration there, and that's a, a those shame. are isolated communities, and, and they're isolated that's, communities. I'm
0: not talking about because those populations are very small. The Lower North Shore, as you
1: that, know, the Lower you North Shore, know. my God. I mean, um, there's a we we were talking yeah. to somebody who's an administrator in the Lower North Shore in the, in one of the communities there, and they lost their only bilingual person, yeah. so they have no counselors and they have no. Uh, administrators who speak French and all okay. of the information they get from Quebec is French. The Pontiac is another case uh, in point. You go to places like uh, l- like uh, Shawville, where people are are pretty well unilingual English. And that's well, really I, well, again. We're, 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 and that's those are the those are the pure and right, you know, pure. pure anglophones that do not speak french but the vast majority of us do yeah no and I the get fact that, that, the not, fact that you and i could do this whole conversation of in course french we could. is a sign <laughs> of that of course, and in fact i mean sometime
0: maybe i'll have you back because i'm um, this is one of the reasons i wanted to talk about this is i'm doing a whole series um, on I, sort of a new notion of identity in quebec that you know and i've done I've, I've started doing them i talk a lot about it on my podcast and i've done one of them in french with a woman from venezuela you might like to listen to it's not if you want to hear my a bit of a strange accent but just speaking to your to your point i mean i i by the when i was 19 i spoke almost no french you know there you go Now i'm fluent in it i i live my life in three languages every day okay I'm, i'm i'm basically fluent also in a third language that i use all the time uh, and that's what, what language purpose- is that a uh, Spanish yeah and that's, okay, per- okay, and that's okay. perfect because my wife is uh, from a Spanish-speaking country. and that's actually when people go oh my God, that's so you know amazing. it's like well, that's pretty normal on the island of Montreal actually people, That's true you know, we're, it's, we're it's the most exactly Montreal Montreal right?
1: is the mo- I, I have read and I'm sure it's true Montreal is the most polyglot city in the world. Yeah, Because most virtually everybody speaks at least one other language from their mother tongue.
0: Polyglot linguistically, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Polyglot means linguistic. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 listen, I have no, absolutely no problem with that conceptually and all that. But what, what I do think is like, I still, with this new notion of identity, I think we're not doing it very well with the young people in the sense of transmitting the message that, you know, Canada is bilingual, but Quebec is the, the language is French. We're not sending, and we're not sending a, a notion very well. Uh, you know, and this is this is a generalized problem. Um, you know that we could we could discuss. I mean, just to give you one example that I, I talk sometimes about on the podcast is like I'm a teacher, so at, you know, every year at the beginning or every session at the beginning, I, I do an, an intake interview where I interview every student, just quickly talk to them a little bit partly to see how they are linguistically and also partly to get to know them. And so I give them a little form, you know, name, favorite music, you know, nationality, I have the question nationality. And I can tell you after doing this for almost a decade, because I've been doing it since the charter of values blew up, I started talking about these things with my students around that time. And I can tell you with certainty that if a student is born here of parents who are not de souche, uh, um, French or English, they will write down the nationality of their parents, and in some cases, even their grandparents, rather than Canadian or Quebecois, right? And so I usually, I kind of ask them, I'll say, oh, so uh, so you were born in, in Russia, or you were born in Haiti. And they're like, no, I was born here. And, and I have to explain, I have to tell them, like, well, you're actually a Canadian, then. And they're like, really? Oh, yeah, well, because they're sort of confused about that. It's not their fault right why would it, they, they they they've come into this society where there's these two groups that seem to be bickering with each other they they don't really you know seem to relate to either one sometimes right and and they're and they sort of they they're sort of told well canada's multicultural so they kind of i think they've kind of gotten the idea that canada's like a hotel right And it's like there's the Haitian-Canadian room and there's the French-Canadian room and then there's the Anglophone room and then, you know, and it says Canada at the top. And maybe we kind of walk by each other when we're going out to get ice down at the machine and then we go back to our rooms. And I think that, like, I, I think that maybe it's time that we should think that that maybe isn't so sustainable over the longer term, that we should have a stronger pride, whether it's Québécois or Canadian, I'm fine with either one. Right. But just the idea that we say, you know, it's that there is something that bonds us together and that in Quebec, the French language has to be somewhat prioritized over English. I, well, I, well I you know, it has the, to
1: be Pierre, true in well, order Pierre, for it to be Quebec. Yeah. Otherwise, sure. what is it? Right. Okay. Yeah. Pierre Trudeau said that Quebec should be as French as Ontario is English. And the, and the flip side of that is that Ontario now, and you know, I was a contributing uh, member of the team that, that uh, did this, uh, Bill 8, it, which was passed in the 1980s, 1986 or 87, um, after I left, but I was very involved in it, was, um, um, I guess it was 86, because it was 85 that we introduced it, um, which provides uh, services in French. Right across the board in Ontario, and it's been expanded more and more and more. And whereas when you look at Quebec, it's less and less and less. And what and has so,
0: happened? And what has happened to the percentages of the Francophone community in Ontario? Has it grown? It hasn't grown. Oh my God. Like the, it's extraordinary. In Ottawa, for example, now, you what know, the percentage th- of Ontarians are, are French speaking. Well, they because say you know, it used to be five percent. I think it's about three now. Well, that's because right? the population. It's the population same thing. Population growth, right? Population I mean, growth. So it's not. It's not, not keeping growth. pace with the population growth, right? It's not. So I, I it's. I, I'm not trying to dissuade you of, of of that. I think it's great that that's going on and all that. But I think that it's again, it's not symmetrical, right? The Anglophone community is not. Sort of the same. Also, the, the Francophone community in Ontario is more rural than than the Anglophone community in, in Quebec, right?
1: Well, it depends Centered because Montreal, it depends. Right? It depends because you have to remember that that even though the the migration from Quebec has been substantially Anglophone, there's a That's lot true. of Francophones who've left to go to else to go elsewhere, and they're not counted as Franco Ontarians. They're just counted as uh, French speakers. So, the next census, it'll be very interesting to see what. Uh, what shows, but I can tell you this, the, the school system in Ottawa is exploding. The French school system is exploding. They cannot build enough schools to accommodate the numbers of yeah. students that are, I that are that. going to French I schools. And now that the school, uh, uh, the school boards are um, uh, now all French right across Ontario. You know, that there's there are school boards that control French schools right across Ontario under section 23 of the constitution and across other parts of the country um, uh, which of course quebec fought against the quebec government has fought tooth and nail against any school board elsewhere elsewhere uh, having any kind of independent authority, which is so hypocritical. Anyway, the um, those school boards are building schools, are getting money, are welcoming from large numbers of students, right? yeah, the provincial from the, from the yeah. government. yeah, right. so, And from the Ontario government, the Manitoba government, Manitoba the Alberta government. government, the Saskatchewan government, the BC government, right across the country. So, uh, but in Ontario, That's great. yeah, the, I mean, the growth not, is, yeah, is huge. Sarcastic. And there's going to be a whole, I mean, like when you look at the numbers from the 2016 census, the, um, the numbers of, of uh, Anglophones, uh, the numbers of people who speak French in, in Canada is something around 11 or 12 million people. That's pretty good for a population of, uh, of, of, of you know, million. at that time was 35 Six at the time. Five, yeah. And I expect it'll probably uh, increase. So, probably will. you yeah. know, if you, if, I mean, if you look at Switzerland, as an example they there's a uh, 20% or 18% I guess maybe 22% now of the population is um is francophone it's what they call 18 uh, that high swiss yeah. Roman okay. swiss roman. it's a little higher than that now because yeah. the numbers have yeah. changed but um, german was dominant german is the dominant yeah. language yes yeah. and there's something like 7% who speak italian however you go to german switzerland and you ask somebody to speak french they don't you go to italian the the couple of uh, cantons that are uh, that are italian and they don't. It's only in the French canton that they speak French. So if and and so the, the level of bilingualism is the the German speaking uh, uh, canton, they're more likely to speak English, if anything. And they they speak Swiss German, which is different from German. So very different. And the yeah. and the in word, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So so you've got uh, so in Canada, for a third of our population to be able to speak French. That's quite extraordinary because it shows that there's at least, you know, 4 million people, 4 million anglophones. Who speak french and that's that's a, that's an accomplishment it's not as good as it should be and god knows uh, i was out in vancouver and in well the white in the yukon my god the signs are french and english so there's bilingualism everywhere you hear french spoken in the street it's wonderful but in uh, certainly in uh, bc you don't hear see that and that's because the numbers I, of people i find who speak the, french the, the places that are big. most
0: french french you know french let's say outside of quebec are new brunswick Sure. and ottawa uh, and some parts of eastern <laughs> ontario other than that everywhere you everywhere you go you see all the french signs and sometimes you know you stumble upon someone who's supposedly a francophone and they speak terrible french I and mean, it's happened to be a number of times in western canada where they're like oh you know you're from quebec and they start talking to you in kind of french like you were sounding before kind of like that and they're right. french canadians right so yeah. to say that it's sort of just this thing well yeah over there there's all these francophones and all this and then here in Quebec it's sort of it's not you know the reality is English is more dominant in North America and, well, and, and it is but true, but right? it is but that's and the, the world, problem right? it's not I mean, it's not
1: this this North America thing I mean is is the woman in Idaho or the you know the the plumber in in Mississippi are they a threat to the French language I do, never said they even, I do they even do no. they even care no. about it no, i mean no, but be... but you always hear this 3% of north america yeah 3% in north america but nobody in the united states really really has any effect and there's no french language law in the, in, in or bilingualism yeah, no, law in in the us no, I mean, but there is french in that. canada you cross the border you cross the border into canada the, the signs are French. My, my, one of my friends, my hockey-playing friends from St. Pascal, took his, he and his wife took their camper, and they went to BC. And I said, did you have any problems? And this guy doesn't speak a word of English. He said, I had no problems. I could always find somebody who spoke French. And there was one time, he said, there was one time, I'm, I'm dealing with a mechanic because my, my car had some problems. I'm dealing with a, a mechanic in Kelowna. And I used an app on my phone and, and, and we figured it out. And, and and he said it was a great time. I loved it. I just love traveling to to other parts of Canada. I you know, and, and this is some, somebody somebody right. who, who does not speak a word of English. Yeah. So you know, um, yeah, I, no, I'm I, not... I think there's a lot to be said for how much progress yes, we've made. Yes, I but totally, but agree. it's hard. That's it's hard, hard to make a lot of progress when you've constantly got people coming in from other countries whose 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 first language is something else, and then they learn the second language. I mean, there's a great book called uh, "Sorry, I Don't Speak French" by Graham Fraser, and he talks about that that phenomenon of immigration of how universities no longer demand that you have a fluency in French or English to graduate from a bachelor's or master's program. And um, he also mm. points out that uh, the uh, uh, the point of the Bilingualism Biculturalism Commission was not to make sure that everybody was bilingual in Canada. It was to ensure that services were provided in both languages. And a lot of people misconstrue that. They think that it, it's, it's about being bilingual as an individual. It's not. It's about providing services. So that the person in the gas bay, the person in Stansted, the person in Cujuac in, uh, who needs to be served in English, can be served in English. And the person in, in, in North Bay, or in Sudbury, or in Edmonton, or in, uh, in, in uh, Grand Prairie, needs to be uh, to be served in french can be served in french and that's what the that's what that's the whole point
0: i i don't think there's there's any doubt about that i think it's more
1: well the quebec uh, government wants to get rid of that
0: (laughs) they want to eliminate that that. but but i think that like i mean just there's a few things about this this sort of the prioritization of french in quebec it's it's not you know like what i I had a friend when i lived in slovakia for a while i had a friend um uh who was from she had grown up in, Mo, in new york from an early from say 12 but she she was born in the soviet union and <laughs> wow. uh, in Belarus. so was, we were talking about her home country her, um she's a friend of mine margaret axelrod and okay. uh, they were jewish and and so i i, I didn't know anything about belorussia you know so she was telling me about it and, and and i said oh so is there a language there she said yeah yeah there's a belorussian language and I said, I said, well, do you speak that? And she said, no, no, I don't speak Belarus. What you? you know, she was sort of looked at me like I was crazy. I was like, well, why? You know, if you come from Belarus, why, why wouldn't you speak Belarus? And I said, and, and she, she said, oh well, I spoke Russian. And She said, okay. So then I said, well, who speaks? Belarusian, then like because she said, Oh, in, in the capital, of Minsk, everybody speaks Russian, right? And she sort of waved her hand in in this way, sort of like, oh, well, peasants, you know, peasants. And I sort of I remember that conversation. I think to myself, what if in a hundred years from now Quebec were like that? what well, you know, what if basically 90% of the island of Montreal and even the surrounding areas most of the people are speaking English and maybe the, the the official functioning is all going on in French at schools and things, but everybody's using English in their homes and on the streets and all that. And the only people still using it are out in the small villages, right? I mean, that's not something that I think is a crazy thing that, that would be unimaginable in the context of, of how things could go, you know. Um, and I've seen some, some sort of hints of this because of because of the labor shortage and things going on. You know, I've sort of noticed more and more English uh, coming about um, where it would normally have been done in French before, you know, um, I've just in, in the last couple of years, you know, Amazon delivery guys, things like that, who, cause I always, I always use French. Like when I go out in the streets, I use French first most of the time, you know, and often um You know, I just to see it's usually sort of an experiment, right, you know, like I want to see if people, you know, and sometimes and most of the time people are capable but it's something I've noticed that Amazon delivery, and I've even noticed at where I teach listening to the students talking on in, in the hallways, for the first time ever starting last session and continuing this one I've heard some students talking to each other in English I never heard that before. You know, and so I'm thinking, like, is, is it this is anecdotal, right? And it's and it's sort of like and it's hard to get a handle on how bilingual can people be before they kind of go, well, you know, why don't we just use English? Right. It's easier. It's more. It's, and, and is there enough of a view among people who come here, including the Anglophone community, a strong sense that to be proud of the French language, that it's something really important, the French language, particularly the French language, not being bilingual, but, you know, French being really important, you know, I'm not sure that there is, you know, I, I don't know. And it's, and somehow that gets lost because it gets ghettoized over, you know, being proud of being French gets sort of ghettoized among, among an, a, a subset of the French Canadian community. Right. Rather than saying, I can be proud of French as an Anglophone. I can be, and so can somebody who's, who's from a, a, another uh, background of some kind, right? I mean, I, I don't know. Does that sound crazy to you?
1: Or is, you know, I, I, well, I don't know I think I'm tilting to the windmills here or what? But, but, <laughs> I think that, that there's, a, there's, there's a very, very strong element of uh, Anglophones in Quebec who are Francophiles and the proof of I that think you and I are both evidence of that but yeah that's true and, yeah. The, but the, and the reason for that the reason and the reason that I say that is that people would have left and gone elsewhere if they, yeah, they were right, yeah. because yeah. they would just get fed up with the politics of it but they're francophiles and they also have a strong attachment um so there's 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 that but I think it's also that uh, language is is something and if you read this book by Graham Fraser, he really gets into it. language is something that you you can either gravitate towards or not and um, and and because most people are not really all that garrulous or outgoing or whatever they're 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 quite content to be able to be who they are and focus on the things that they do uh, rather than feeling the the, ne- the need to be going out and doing something that they might see as either very, Political or very social or what have you, and uh, and and the other thing about about uh, the use of English. I mean, it used to shock me. I mean, actually, I was really kind of really dismayed when my uh, my 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 uh, kids would speak English in the halls of their school, which was the French school in elementary. That's another school, thing they said, that I've noticed they would yeah. have they would have ici yeah. français, yeah. and the kids would all speak French in the in the halls. But then it was sort of like a bit of a rebellion after right. elementary school because right. they were older and they right. were speaking English between them. But you know something, in 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 Quebec High School and in uh, 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 St. Patrick's High School in Quebec City. They're speaking French in the halls. They're speaking French in the halls. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Anglophones from Quebec City, I've noticed, my friends who come from there are, are, are so integrated. I have a number of people I know who grew up there and they live
1: here now. But... They're often. Oh, you it's could, yeah. D- d- it's very you know something?
0: It's very different from the Anglophone community in oh, Montreal. <laughs> oh, well, you know, <laughs> you different. know something. I mean, like yeah. my
1: mother grew up in Quebec City, and and uh, and and there isn't anybody in her family who was not fluently bilingual. And her great grandfather married a francophone. He was an Anglo. Uh, uh, Protestant, and he married a francophone Catholic who was twelve years older than him, and he ended up being mayor of Quebec City. Wow! And wow. and 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 there was never anybody in that family that didn't speak French, and so. It, it you know it's uh Quebec, Quebec City, City has become a whole other thing French, yeah
0: right I mean because it used to be when you go to Quebec like say 40 or 50 years ago that it was more like Montreal it had a kind of like a more of a um a noticeable Anglo presence I think than it does now because most of the Anglos because many left I think and also because the Anglos that Remained, as you point out, are sort of, and we are saying are sort of really integrated into French. Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah, don't know. sure, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had an experience once where speaking of, it's not
1: rocket science. I mean, it just is. It's, it's the way people right? people it's grow a- up and the and the and the environment that they live in and yeah. all of those things. And you know that's why you know the, the the this whole thing about allophones not integrating is is a bit of uh, is really nonsense because if you speak. Italian or Greek or Russian or whatever it might be in the home but you're speaking French the rest of the time. Yeah. You know, aren't you fully integrated?
0: I think you are. It's a good question. I mean, that's something I wanted to get to you uh, because you, you this I'm glad we're getting to that is the numbers here because you were the person who pointed out to me that there's two ways you can measure the presence of English in Quebec. And I assume French in the rest of the country as well. Yeah. But it's, and one way is like you and I would be considered like the soosh. so we you know, spoke English in the home. I assume you did with your family, as I did. And I also went to school in English. So those two things together, especially the speaking with the family um, is a big one. But you can also, you can also say, you can also ask the question. So I, uh, by the way, if if you and I technically, I believe are about eight and a half percent of the population of Quebec. Is that correct? The, the Dessouche,
1: anglophone yeah something like that so about eight, somewhere but, yeah. around eight percent. <laughs> but you know yeah. if i if i scrape far enough with my great great grandmother you know yeah, right? yeah. My, my roots yeah. go back to 1640 with the Gano. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah
0: right but I, I i'm not trying to make an ethnic claim as much as just i mean because a person yeah. could be for example descended of say italian immigrants who came here 100 years ago and they yeah. speak english in the home they would be like us right they would be kind of not necessarily ethnically english but they're speaking english in the home right and, the, and they also they went to school in english i'm sure there are people like that in you know the jewish community right would be another case right where there's it's not an ethnic claim so much as a as a, a linguistic uh, and also speaking in the home is really the key one but you can also ask people um you know which of the two official languages do you yeah, I'm not sure how the question is phrased. Is it that you're most comfortable with, or that you use most often,
1: something like that? I think so. And no, I, th- you know this, how the question is phrased
0: because yeah. how you phrase a question is actually something that makes a big difference, right? But um do, you're not sure of the exact wording of it is it
1: um it's something like that yeah but know. and i am not sure whether that really reflects it and that's why the dem- demographers you know there's this fellow who's who's looked at it and said you know these these numbers aren't really reflective of what well what, what when you realistic.
0: ask a question something like which of the two official languages do you use most often in, in your life and you know then you get something like 13 and a half percent right so those must be that that that's a big gap Right there's a very wide gap, and then you've got. Uh, so what's interesting about that is is the the population of of um, native Fre- French can- of ethnic French Canadians. Let's say like like Souche French Canadians is what seventy eight and a half percent now, yeah, uh, down from about eighty two and a half, which I think might explain uh, some of the but anxious- I, I-
1: as a proportion of the as, population, a, yes,
0: that's right. That's a very important. The, point the, the numbers in, have yeah. actually
1: increased, but the numbers yes, of the population. Right. Have increased. There
0: are yeah. more French Canadians in Quebec than there have now than there have ever been in human history. Correct. correct. An overall, that's number. correct. And yep, that's a yep, true yep. Uh, fact yep. number. Yep. Uh, but but as a percentage, it's down to about seven eight and a half. So that leaves, that by my calculation, you've got about nine percent of the population somewhere that is, but you know. Um, that would be on the French side who are allophones, right? Because you got 13 and a yeah. half, right? Yeah. If I'm doing my math, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. 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 So of uh, So that's about 9% who are who are um, integrating more into the French or they spoke French before they came here, right? Like they came from Morocco or something like that, right? Then you've got this other side, which is about 5% who are integrating more to English because they're saying, according to what they're saying, right? Because they're saying they prefer to use English, Right. So that seems to me, if I compare it to when my mother came here in, in 1956 or whatever, or 57, when, what is it, 90 or 95% of immigrants went directly to the English, right? So that seems like, it, that seems like it's about 60% are integrating more to French, which seems like an improvement from, you know, from 5%. Do you see what I mean?
1: Yeah, 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 but 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 the thing is that just one final (laughs) thing. Yeah, yeah. One
0: one final thing I wanted to say, ask you there is is that enough over the longer term to like really is it enough? I mean, we're having a serious conversation about these (laughs) numbers. Well, we're not having a cartoon debate like the CAQ or whatever. These no, you know, we're not really discussing it. Do you think that's enough so that in a hundred years, Montreal is still going to be? mostly French speaking as it is now. It's sort of like 65, 70% now, something like that. I don't know. Does that make well, sense? Is yeah, that- but
1: here's here's what, what, what you know, let's face it. How do people, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say procreate, but how, do, how does a generation uh, repl- replenish itself? How do people uh, 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 interact socially? If you have the capacity to speak another language, which many many allophones do, yeah. and you're working, well, you know, them do. And, Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you're working, you're working in a uh, in in a francophone workplace, or you're working, or you're socializing with people who are francophones. But you're not necessarily, you know. But you got friends who are anglophones or whatever, and you fall in love with somebody who of the of who's of the other language group, or who was is very much attached to that language. They're, they're, you're going to speak that language in the home. I mean, Dominique Anglade uh, speaks French, Creole, and German at home, and some English. I do not know don't, that. Yeah, yeah, because her husband is German. Okay. So, and her kids speak German. Well, you know, I mean, are we going to have to worry that the uh, the the Anglads are going to create this entire you know uh, uh, group of German-speaking Quebecers that are going to be a threat to the French language? I don't think so. Well, we're so talking about so the old same old sort old, of thing, right? sure. But but that's yeah. but but how do people meet? How do they encounter others? Yeah. How do they? Yeah. How do they? I mean, my my great-great grandfather, I mean, and my my a lot, lot of people in my family. How do they meet? Well, I mean, he was working in a store. She probably walked into the store, or maybe she was working in the store they fell in love they got married their children became bilingual it's not rocket science that's how it happened (laughs) so it's the same sort of thing with the with with uh, uh, anybody that if you have that capacity all of a sudden your life is open to the four million people or more the four million people who don't speak uh, who only speak French or to the people who are bilingual but they but they're more comfortable in French and so they're going to be uh, they're going to be making those encounters. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I sat. This is completely unscientific, but I sat uh, waiting for my uh, cell phone to get fixed in Alex Alexe and I was just sitting down. The shopping and, center in the west end of Montreal. For yes, 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 yes. Near near yes. on the border Atwater of Westmount and, yeah. and uh, yeah. near the old forum. Yeah. So, um, and I was just sitting there, and there were a lot of people walking by. It's kind of like being in the medical, you know. Yeah, uh, I love that. Yeah. So, yeah. so. Uh, and there were there were there were Asians. There were uh, people of uh, visible minorities. There were people who were all kinds of colors and 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 sizes and what have you. And the numbers of people who walked by and were talking French between themselves, and they were clearly not Quebecois de souche, was astonishing to me. Yeah. And you go into the stores themselves, and you see that too. So I I think that this. Uh, this incredible paranoia. It's something that's being sewed as a, as you say, like a cartoon debate. It's being sewed among the people to create a fear of something that is really socially um, in in real life is not a, a problem. It's not an issue because people are the, 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 the potential for uh, uh, long-term uh, uh, the, the, the you know support of the existence of the french language population it, it it's almost guaranteed and so I, I going going farther yeah, going yeah. farther by pushing this mm, um, yeah. all that's going to happen i think is you're going to see fewer people wanting to come here the population will shrink and yeah sure uh, as a proportion maybe the francophones will be uh, mother tongue francophones and québécois will be will be will be greater but it's kind of a, a, a pyrrhic victory because if your population shrinks to eight million or stays at eight point five million, and the population of Ontario, for example, grows to twenty or thirty million, um, then yeah, you know, yeah, Quebec Quebec that. ends up being and Quebec ends up being kind of like the Newfoundland of of of, of, of Canada.
0: Well, it's clearly the population growth is really important, except that. I mean, if, if we were to sacrifice, you know, if it just were to, I mean, just, you know, something I heard. And I want to say, just to reiterate your point quickly, that most of like in in, in where I teach, for example, most of the young kids are, are they talk to each other in French, you know, they, even though mo- even though over half of them are are non-de-souche. I mean, they're different. Sure. Uh, yeah. All kinds, there you go. Right. That's I mean, that's the reality of it. But but as I said, these these are changes that I've seen in in recent. And again, they're not scientific. You're quite right. Um, another one was um, one of the janitors who works there. I, I like to talk to him. He's a very nice guy. He's you know he's in his fifties, and um, so we chat a lot. And he told me that um, recently, that just speaking of the labor shortage, and then you know the kind of you know they're so desperate for people that they they ha- they had to hire some people to do some work and i don't know some janitorial stuff or something who couldn't speak french this is the east end of montreal here They could not find a person. And this is a good salary. These are, you know, you don't, a janitor or a Sejap is a fairly decent job with good benefits and that kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. We're out there, you know, so it's not like, it's like, you know, kind of like minimum wage crappy job, (laughs) right? (laughs) You know? And so it's like, I mean, they could not find someone. So again, I mean, I don't know how to deal. I do know that there, if that person who's hired, who didn't speak French and everything, if that person has kids, then that their kids will probably go to french schools and they well yeah depending depending where they went to school cuz maybe the person came from outside you know or
1: grew up in maybe, you know but, i don't but know. You know but you know i mean it, it's funny because when when we talk about all this i you know I'm, i came out of the school system i didn't get a very good education in french i support the idea of the, the idea of the english school system but you know something um when we had the choice in uh certainly in Geneva, we could have sent our kids to the international school and the government would have paid for it, $18,000 really? a year per kid. Um, and the, Canadian they, government would have, the Canadian government would have right, paid right, for right, it yeah. to, go to, right. Right. Yeah. to go to the private school, to go to the international school. And we had a public school that was about 100 meters away and a public uh, nursery school that was right next door. And so... Uh, we sent the kids to the Jardin d'Enfants and uh, my son's first words actually were, uh, les vaches, the cows, because he wanted to see the cows across the street because nice. they live in suburbs in Switzerland. There's bound to be a farm next door. And, <laughs> and it's just, that's the way it is. Uh, but, uh, but, but uh, and, they, they, and then they naturally, instead of going to English school in Ottawa, which they actually, we had no right to send our kids to, uh, to French school in uh, Ontario. What happened was, Why not? well, Why because not. we're both Anglophones, even so though what? we're bilingual. But, well, because that's what Section 23 says. You have to be uh, mother tongue in order to so send you your can't child. You
0: choose in Ontario? I thought Quebec was the only. No,
1: no, no. You, you, according to the Constitution, you have to be. So the. Oh, OK, well, wow, so, so so that so,
0: blows up my myth that that Quebec has, has less choice than Ontario does, because I, I. Well,
1: it's it. the Constitution. But okay. but the thing is that let's say if you were if your kids went to a French daycare they could be considered to be uh, transferring from the daycare into the French school. Right. And in our case, in our case, the 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 DG of the school, the, the director general said uh, the principal said, uh, even though we could have sent the kids to the lycée, but uh, the lycée uh, director general was not a very nice person. So my wife went to the public school, and the director, the director general, the principal said that she would accept our kids as transfers from Switzerland. So right. they were transferred from Switzerland, and they had and they'd been educated in Switzerland for 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 you know three or four years because they had daycare before that, and so they were transfers from Switzerland, like the kids that were from Morocco or Ethiopia or or France or whatever right. that were in in that same school. So you know um, there are ways of getting into the uh, French school system in Ontario, but but we had the choice and we chose to send our kids to French school because we figured. That if they went to French school and spoke English at home, that that would be fine. It was the same in Geneva. I mean, the hockey, the swimming, the ski, the skating, everything was in French, and the only place that there was English was the home. And we read to them in French and in English, and they've turned out to be fluently bilingual. That's and great. I And I think in some ways, if I were living in Quebec, it would be very hard for me to send my kids to. Uh, an English school, even though I believe in the English school system, I think that if you really want to learn a language, yeah. you really have to be educated in that language. Unless, unless they go they were to go to French sejep yeah. maybe, and they would, and they, how, they would flip it, you transmit know? this yeah.
0: idea, because I, I agree with you. I think that that's uh, the, a good thing to do. I'm Just speaking of, uh, you know, you mentioned Ottawa or, you know, schools and my cousin has five children and he, my cousin um, was born and raised in Germany, even though my uncle was from Canada. And so he, he has, his wife is from Germany and so on. So they speak German in the home, but he sent his kids to. Um, to French language school. They go to French language school in Ottawa. I don't know how he did that because they were all born here and both him and his, his wife were from outside the country. So not, not French speaking from, you know, they come from Germany, but I don't know how they pulled that off. I've never, I, I always thought they could just choose. That they just chose to put them in French language schools, but I, I, again, I don't know enough about how it works outside of Quebec. I'm very parochial in terms of my understanding. <laughs> but, you know, I'm very Quebec focused. Uh, you know, on my on my language law stuff. Even though I know I know the rest of the country a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I I, I guess what I wanted to ask you is um, how do we? Because you have you you have what I would consider kind of the right idea in the sense that you're sort of thinking about the longer term. Stability of not only your kids and their ability to function in Quebec, but also the language. I think that's part of your reasoning, right? Yeah. Like, like you, part of what you want to sustain is the French language in North America, and the center of that is here in
1: Quebec, typically,
0: right? I mean, is that not part of well, your calculation?
1: I I don't really care about North America. I'm a Canadian. No, yeah, so I believe in pro- Canada-, pro- Canada. Yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a pro. I'm yeah. very, very pro Canadian. And I, as one of my, my, actually, my, I could say, my predecessor, the, uh, uh, there was a beautiful, uh, you know, really strong-willed anglophone woman here who was on the town council and uh was the president of the spca in quebec city for 44 years and spoke fluent fluent french and they wanted her to run for mayor but uh, she was happy just being a counselor and she had enough enough going on with it in, in her life but she uh used to f- put the canadian flag up on her flagpole every single day and uh, and was un, you know un. uh uh, apologetically Canadian and would say whenever anybody asks her if she's an English Canadian or a French Canadian, she'd say, I'm a Canadian. Yeah. And, and so I, I feel that way that, you know, like we have this principle, this idea that and this opportunity with with a country where you've got, you know, uh, uh, 8 million or 9 million uh, mother tongue French speaking uh, people and as you point out and, nearly and 12 million who who who, who speak. can speak the language yeah yeah well, and, and 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 it's a huge benefit and in europe nobody thinks twice about speaking two or three or four languages and we've got this opportunity and we can learn to to understand each other i mean i remember talking to some of my neighbors after the Meech lake uh you know debacle De yeah. De and and uh, and, and uh, saying, you know, like we were just talking about stuff, you know, I mean, we we're talking about the hockey, about the Canadien, and, and then we we're just talking about, you know, what was happening in terms of their families and things. And I said, you know, you have much more in common with people in a small village in Newfoundland than you have in common with people in Montreal. Because having lived in Newfoundland, I knew that, and and they said, well, "What do you mean?" I said, well, "The only barrier is language. Your lifestyle, your quality of life, the things you care about, your connection with the with the sea, right. uh, all of those things are so much stronger than they are for somebody who's where in is, urban this in lower and, Lord, is this lower Saint Lawrence? In Camaraska, in Kamaraska. Right, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. And, can, and, yeah, and 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 uh, and you 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 know, you go to Nova Scotia, you go to PEI, you go to New Brunswick, or you go to Newfoundland. These people, like they are totally, totally like, I always describe Kamaraska as being like an outport. and it is very much like that. Yeah. So so we, we forget that there are these things that we have in common that unite us, that we uh, that, that only language divides us, and all you have to do is learn the damn language. Yeah. and all of a sudden you've got this you know this, this portal opens up to a huge number of your fellow citizens. Not fellow Americans, but your fellow Canadians, Mm -hmm. that you have these these things in common with, and it's it's, yeah, I totally agree. It's not complicated,
0: you know. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I I definitely, I'm 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 definitely pro Canadian. I always have been, and I believe in bilingualism. Um, Until at such point, I mean, I've always said that if ever that the, the 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 cohesion of Canada is disrupted in some way, and in in such a scenario it is quite likely that Quebec would end up somehow its own political unit. What would happen to the rest of the country? I don't know. In that scenario, I would remain, I, I would become a proud citizen of the new country of Quebec in that particular scenario. Um, I'm not one of these people who would leave, you know, some people say, Oh yeah, if Quebec separates, I'm going to leave and go to Canada. I wouldn't do that. You know? Um, but, but I do believe in it, as long as we have Canada, as long as it is a, that it is a great country and that it has a long great tradition in, of different kinds, of different things, of freedom, you know, a really great tradition of freedom, of defending freedom, you know, our soldiers in World War II and, and other parts of the world and stuff, so, and the
1: bilingualism, all that stuff is really amazing, you know. Um, it's And you know something I, I would, I, I I discovered and I sort of rediscovered, I guess, just traveling by train and traveling by, uh, by driving across the country in the last month or so, um, there is an enormous... Uh, there was an enormous investment by people who had very, very little in infrastructure, in in building lives, in uh, uh, building uh, careers, and educating. I mean, our just our educational system alone—the fact that we have so much social mobility—that a person can arrive from one co- from a country uh, abroad with very, very little and end up having an education, or their children end up being professionals or or very, very prominent. Uh, Canadians. The reason for that is that our public education system offers so much to, for people to be socially mobile, and there are few countries in the world that allow that, that in, or encourage that. And yet we have that. So there's so many things that that we've invested to make the country the way it is, and I, I think we take it for granted. But then when you travel across it and you see uh, what 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 there is in a country as big as we are with a smaller population it's really quite extraordinary when you think about
0: it yeah i mean it's 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 a much more complicated country to maintain cohesion than i think a lot of people understand i mean I, it, it's i think people think that you know, there's this idea that Canada is just sort of like this boring, this is a stereotype in the Anglophone world, particularly in the US, and just this kind of boring place that's all stable and everything. When you really look at the internal dynamics of the country over its history, it's somewhat miraculous it has survived. Uh, You know, the conscription crises during World War II, for example, then the two referendums, and then you've got other things that have come up since then in the 21st century. So I don't think we should take it for granted that it is going to survive. I mean, I, I think it probably will, but I, I think that it should not. That should not be just assumed, you know, it could blow up for any number of reasons, um, you know, going into the future. Right. That's why I'm, I'm being very careful about hedging, like just explaining that I, you know, in, in such a scenario, let's say it somehow broke into a number of, uh, you know, units, you know, just to give one example. People sort of laugh at Alberta separatism. I don't think it's a good idea to laugh at Alberta separatism. I think Western alienation is an extremely serious problem that goes back a very long time. My grandfather was born in Manitoba. I remember him being very, very adamantly, you know, he lived in Ottawa for a lot of his life, but he was very much, he had that view. Pierre Trudeau, I think, really did not help with that. And now we're seeing it again. But I think we should take that very, very seriously. And I think that Western Canadians feel marginalized within the Canadian system because to a certain extent they are right among the 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 liberal the liberal governments that have dominated Canada's political unit have been focused around the interests of, you know, the the Ontario Quebec access mostly, you know. Uh, and I think that's something that we should think about very seriously if we want to think about the cohesion of the country, you know, uh, that's a personal view, you know. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, as we move to closing, this is, we were onto, I always like to close with something positive, And we were talking about all this positive stuff a minute ago. And then I brought in this big downer. <laughs> About the country blowing up, right? So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, just, um, do you have any, speaking of downers, uh, predictions for the coming election on Monday? I'm guessing it's fairly clear what's going to happen in your
1: view. I don't, I don't know. I, I was predicting uh, 103 CAC out of 125. I think it's probably going, to be, it's going to be that much. It, it uh, could be that. Yeah. The thing is that uh, uh, the... Uh, the the pronouncements by the premier over the last uh, few few uh, weeks, which uh, uh, were were clearly as I say either stupid or racist, um, were um, will not help them. I don't think because I think even moderate uh, thinking uh, uh, francophones and uh, certainly urban ones are going to be thinking well that's not. That's not the person that represents me. And why are uh, they
0: going to get the 103 seats? Is it just purely? Well, that was, no, that's
1: what I was thinking before. Oh, okay. I,
0: was, I see. Um, right. I got you. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what do you think now? You think maybe only ninety or something?
1: Exactly, <laughs> I was going to yeah. say. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. What the hell? It's all... and with what? What percentage of the population is going to vote for thirty? I think something 38? like thirty-seven percent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I mean this because is... because, because yeah. I
1: mean they like there are people who say that the, the the rural counties are gerrymandered. You know the the rural county that I'm in, Reef Hood, extends from something like uh, I know the federal one extends from Bertie. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, to to revered Lou and beyond. Yeah, and big. that's it. Yeah. that's that's huge. Yeah. it's a huge yeah. riding, and so to be a member for a riding that big, it's pretty difficult. Yeah. So, um, and and the reason is because they have to have a certain uh, population, and. Uh,
0: so I mean, it's the, not really it's yeah. not really it's it's not gerrymandering it's just quebec Quebec is a forward. huge place
1: yeah. and there are a lot of places that don't have well, a lot of population i mean
0: yeah there are the variance. i mean i don't know how many people live in your riding but i'm guessing it's under a hundred thousand, right uh, oh yeah easily yeah, yeah. Yeah. right so i mean uh, some ridings in montreal are ninety thousand, a 100 000. that's sure. just because the population is denser i mean if we were to cut up you know there would be i don't know how that could be avoided we could have tiny ridings on the island that would be the same number of People, I suppose. I mean, and that would that would give more weight to the city, right? Which maybe I don't know if that would be better. It's and of course you'd have to be constantly readjusting it if you were trying to keep it because the the population grows more quickly in the city. It's it, it's even declining in some places, uh, in many places. As I oh, know. it's
1: declining all over right. the place. Yeah. I mean, like and in so kamaraska there were two thousand people in nineteen sixty, and there's six hundred now. Yeah. Wow.
0: Okay. So that's that's a significant drop, right? So, yeah. So that that's another sort of I, I see that as a kind of a problem. I wonder, like that 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 bifurcation, because. I think that there's always been among francophones from smaller towns and and communities outside of Montreal, there's always been a little bit of a suspicion of Montreal, just kind of, it's it's always, I mean, this is true in anywhere, right? Like, you know, in in New York state, right? If you go to Lake George or something or Plattsburgh and then you go to New York city, the people from those smaller town communities are suspicious of the big city because it's the big city and everything's different, you know, and all this. But I think that in, in Quebec, you also have this linguistic divide, which is sort of, it aggravates that, I think. I think it makes it more complicated in how, you know, and I, and there's also been the rise in it's not just the linguistic divide. M- Montreal has become much more multicultural, as you pointed out. And I think that's confusing to some people from smaller communities, I, you know, and I'm not, I don't think those people are racist. I, most of them, I think are just, they're just, they're from a different kind of an environment. You know what I mean? And yep. I don't know how to solve that as a problem. I mean, the best thing would be for more of more immigrants to somehow be incentivized to go and take jobs in these smaller communities. And you know, or, oh, yeah, that's, I don't know how to? Do oh that. my god,
1: it's that is very. You know, hard. I, when I ran in twenty eleven, and I met a lot of people, business people here, who um, uh, were were desperate for welders. Uh, yeah, because in, in in business you know in like the manufacturing industries there's a number of manufacturing industries here and they were desperate for welders they could not get welders they must come be well-paid jobs right they're extremely well-paid yeah. jobs and yeah. one guy one the president of one company told me that they had to turn down a one million dollar contract from air canada wow uh, to make propane wow. tanks uh for because they didn't have enough welders Amazing. and 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 the problem is you can't get people to come to the rural areas because they think it's in the boonies. They think that there's yeah. uh, that they're you know we're in the sticks we're very unsophisticated which is not the case, and that small town life is boring. But there's lots of things to do. The lifestyle mm-hmm. is great. The cost of living is lower, uh, and the cost of housing is much lower. And uh, but but the the people tend to gravitate towards the cities, and especially people who are not. Uh, from the sush or if they are, they they left the small town a long time ago and don't want to go back. But that's and you know, so you don't see a lot of people who are uh, new Canadians, you, new Quebecers you here. And that's to, a problem. That's a real there's problem. Is any way to incentivize that? I mean, because well, I, I wish there know, was. I mean, uh, how do you make
0: salaries and they oh. should draw? I mean, well, the like salaries the are huge. From
1: but yeah. like compare yeah. you could, if you're making a hundred thousand dollars in kamaraska yeah and you're like making a
0: 200 grand in montreal exactly yeah. Yeah.
1: exactly
0: yeah because the cost of living the housing although there's less there is less to do I mean, i'm sure there are a lot of things to do but there just is less to do if you're a young person right it's right i mean i'm not i'm not trying to be insulting to the, the to people in small towns but just the, the, you know, Montreal is a big city. <laughs> it's kind got, it's of... Got, oh, it's, it's one surprised. of the great
1: cities of the world. Exactly. There's no question. Yeah. It's one of the great cities of the world. It's a yeah. wonderful place to live. I still have my, my piate there, yeah. and I love to go there, you know? So, yeah. it's, no, it's, it's all good. Yeah. So, so okay. So, you, so you're so you predicting a
0: blasting CAQ victory of yeah. at yeah. least 90 seats, something like that. Yeah. I would
1: say that. And you know what's going to happen? Like any government, with the, with maybe a couple of exceptions, I'd say Frank McKenna was, was one. Uh, any government that gets a massive majority like that ends up being a disappointment for the people who support it. Right, and right. Uh, and I think that uh, Legault is going to go on this track of being more and more nationalistic, and he's going to have defeats uh, in the courts, and um, and he's Here's- going to have problems with his ca- with his caucus because his caucus has become going to become more restive because they're restless because they are uh, split down the middle, yeah. I think, between hyper-nationalists and, and and people who are much more conservative. Well, the other, the other thing so. we,
0: have, we have not mentioned about this is the, the, the effect of, of uh, the coronavirus seems to have, in some places it caused, I mean, I think it, it was the downfall of Donald. I think Donald Trump was going to win in 2020 until the coronavirus came in. So I think it, but I think here in Quebec, I think it seems to have helped because i mean he i mean personally i'm a big civil liberties guy i was not happy with you know these 10-day emergency orders for two years you know what i mean like going on and on and all this stuff i i mean I, i i could don't get me started about the curfews and just things like this it was really over the top but somehow i think that helped him among his his base of voters are again they're not they're rural. They're, 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 well, they're they're smaller towns. They're not big city. They're not young people, right? So, you know, from what I understand about the, the CAQ voting uh, intentions is that they tend to be people in, up to about 50. It's it's quite low. You know, among young people, it's almost non-existent. Once you, you go up past about 55, it just skyrockets, apparently. You know, um, probably there's some ethnic Considerations that are probably less among Anglo's who are seventy-five years old, right? So that I think maybe something to do with the coronavirus. He was able to scare people. I think he was able to use that. He was very careful with the polling. Up From what I've heard, he he's the Legault government spends millions on polls. It's a strong, astonishing, right? So they were able to play to that. I think that's something, and that that won't last forever. Right. I mean, the coronavirus can't, and people, I think, eventually are going to get sick of that scare attack. That's a whole other You want to talk about scaring people, right? And that, that was something that was a real serious issue. But I think moving forward, I, I mean, I just wanted to say and just hear your thoughts about this. What do you think is going to happen? Because as you pointed out, um, the, you know, it, it, they're going to win this blasting majority, you know, and it's going to be a disappointment for its base and for a lot of people, right? What do you think? Because, you know, is the big red machine going to somehow reconstitute itself? Do you think the conservative party could somehow become a thing? Do you think the PQ could come back? I mean, it's really right now we're in a total open game. I mean, it's like anything could happen there For, for 2026. I'm talking about I'm not talking about now, but do you have any. Predictions about what might happen there? I'm just wondering what you think about
1: it. Well, you know, I, I think that, the first of all, that André Fortin will be the next leader of the Liberal Party. And if that's the case, I think he's going to bring it into uh, much more of a moderate, much more of a uh, uh, federalist kind of point of view. Um, and if he, if he does, I think that they've got a chance to pick up uh, the uh, significant number of, of, of voters who are right now disenchanted, with the the liberal party and focus focus on the economy which is of course the strength of the liberal So you party.
0: think the liberals could could come back you do, you don't think that the PQ are
1: ever going to come back I mean you don't think I don't think so I think that the PQ yeah, the PQ agree with the that. PQ will, will probably uh, die a natural death and there may be and the CAC will become that much more nationalistic yeah, and so then then you're yeah. going to get into the the whole sort of binary choices um, so I, I, why I wouldn't the conservatives no. be able to
0: become a thing? I mean, you know, well, because you I seem think, to be
1: capturing young. Well, they they are. But I think it's, right? it's it's kind uh, of the flavor of the moment, and it's because of the uh, it's because of the issue of the pandemic. I mean, let's face it, uh, Legault, uh among people who are attracted to him and who think that he's like your the, your favorite uncle. Uh, uh, yeah. All those among all those appearances Legault, on television yeah, yeah. uh, appeared well appeared okay. you know made him appear good, but but the problem is that in fact that quebec had the worst uh, numbers oh, in the country oh absolutely yeah so terrible. you know it's it's <laughs> like the, you know it's the old saying about you know putting lipstick on a pig you know you you cannot disguise the fact that the numbers were very bad so but Lego has managed to get this reputation of being a great manager even though the people say well you know when they see the numbers they say well that's this is astonishing so i think the, the there's 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 that element of it but the conservatives uh, 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 Eric Jum is a is a phenomenon. He's got a media presence. He's got uh, he's fluently bilingual. He has all these things going for him that are going to be uh, very useful if he gets into the house. And if he does, if he gets in the National Assembly, he might not. But I he I might not. not. But yeah. th- th- we'll see what happens. But but if he does get in, so let's say he gets in. Is it is it? he's, he's a phenomenon on, on his own. But can the party that is basically built around him? Mm-hmm. Can it sustain itself? Well, uh, you know, charismatic leadership has been shown to be uh, uh, a very volatile thing. Do and you if you're totally dependent on charismatic,
0: charisma. like you think that like, I, I don't see I don't see that in him. I, I, th- I think he's there are people who do, yeah. but
1: there are people who do think he's charismatic and and charisma, remember, is not something it's not like a glow. It's the ability to appeal yeah. to people. So he appeals to people. And so yeah. and because of the way yeah. the things that he's saying and well that's, you know, that's it that's and and, the, and yeah. the public the public has a, has a very very short attention span and in a few years people are going to forget that the pandemic was really uh that much of an issue and that vaccination was uh com- you know compulsory vaccination was an issue and then the, and and yeah. once that dies it's conceivable that 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 whole attitude or that sort of uh groundswell will will die with him that's possible i
0: i actually see it in a a different way and again we're both making predictions here we could meet in a few years and see who's right but i see the the liberal party of quebec basically have been holding a gun to the anglophone community's head for 50 years right uh Mm -hmm. you know basically like if you don't vote for us You know, you're going to end up in a different country. You don't want to be in a different country. so (laughs) So that threat is now no longer gone. And I think that the Conservative Party has really sort of realized that and been able to tap into a lot of people who were federalists, uh, many of whom are anglophones and coming up. So I'm not, I think that could be sustainable overall. Like I I don't see it because I don't think it's only the COVID thing that has, that the conservative party has risen so much. I think it's part of it, but I think there's a whole slew of ideas there that our people are, hungry for the deeper kind of changes to things like the the healthcare system and stuff like that more creative thinking there that kind of stuff that's kind of what i see but again it could be a flash in the pan i also don't see zuem he's not like like when i think of like a charismatic flashy conservative leader that's poliev right he's much more sort of a young handsome guy who's got these sort of one liners and all that kind of stuff that you know that i could see more as a charisma thing but Zuem is I mean, he's very well-spoken and smart, but he doesn't, he's not like a kind of, you know, he. Uh, Justin Trudeau is
1: a charismatic, but, movie, right? But, but, he's kind but, of good-looking yeah. and, had these, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. You know no, but, that's, but that's to say, that's, charisma is not defined as having a glow or having, of being good-looking. Charisma is the capacity to attract people on the basis of, of yeah. you know, what your, sure. what, what your personality is. And the thing is, and this is something that, that a lot of Anglophones forget, is that you am... Was a shock jock uh, radio talk show host for a long, long time.
0: He's a media guy, and yeah. He was on the it, radio, and
1: so therefore people know him. And it's the same thing to a lesser extent uh, with with you know the the Trump comparison or the people like the guy who played Grover on um, on on Love Boat. You know, they said that when he ran for Congress. He had a five hundred million dollar advantage in terms of expenditures, or fifty million dollars, I guess it was, but some incredible number uh, over his opponent because he had name recognition and was a celebrity, and people thought they know knew him. Uh, it's it's no, a phenomenon yeah. that Marshall yeah. McLuhan and Neil uh, uh, Neil Postman have have really really dug into about the uh, how the media can can actually change people's entire perceptions of. Uh,
0: Well, I guess the real question,
1: I guess the real question would be, are
0: are we seeing a temporary shift and then the big red machine is going to reassert itself, which would be your prediction or, and then I I presume the CAQ would remain on the other side in that scenario, or are we seeing a total realignment that's taking many years? I mean, because I think the CAQ was the first kind of bomb on the, the tectonic sort of um, earthquake like shift you know like it was like the tectonic plates were pushing and pushing and then in 2018 they pushed over because remember in 18 very few people predicted the caq would win right the liberals were supposed to win a majority and then it was descending as it got closer to election down to a minority and most many people were surprised that
1: they won right a lot of that had you to know? do with uh, pierre Philippe Couillard and his Comment about uh, people being able to live on $175 a month or whatever. I I think it had
0: to do with the liberals had been dominant in, in the 21st century because of this fear of separatism. You know, I think that way, because most Quebecers don't want a separate country. There's, you know, and so the CAQ had come up with this third option. And, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, and, and, and yeah. it was just a long time. The liberals were mostly in power, right? People yeah, yeah. were in power briefly under Mahoua for about 18 months. That's the only time. So I think it was sort of inevitable. So I wonder, like, I just looking into the future, it can't be inevitable the CAQ will remain. So the real question is, basically... Is your your prediction is a pretty good one that the liberals will somehow manage to figure out how to get how to get themselves together, right? Because they're as 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 we as I mentioned, the big red machine is literally centuries old at this point.
1: And it's, sure, you know, but you know the the one thing that's know, a, a caveat and that that that, that you cannot predict uh, the wild card in this is uh, is Pierre Carl Peladeau and his control of TVA and the Journal de Montréal. Yeah, because yeah. they are whipping up such nationalistic sentiments among the average person. And they don't even, it's so uh, subliminal that yeah. nobody really understands the extent to which it, it's having an influence. And, you know, it's its sort of like, uh, you know, the uh, 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 Citizen Kane, who was based on, uh, uh, who was the... Uh, uh, the Hearst. The William yes. Randolph Hearst. William Randolph Hearst, and how Hearst whipped up attitudes within the, uh, well, the US. And benefit? then you look at Fox, you look at the Fox network, and right. you look at the, the way that they whipped up, they, they continue to whip up attitudes. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I, I don't think that can, and,
0: I I don't think that I'm those fair. types of things can last for that long. I mean, I, like in, in a democracy, it's it's. I also think that people. I mean, nobody predicted. Very few people thought Trump was ever going to go anywhere, and he did, and he had no support from, from, uh, from media or anything. Oh, but he did right? from
1: Fox. He did from Fox and he did he from had the some that- from
0: Fox. Yeah. But not yeah. all the time. I mean, they, they also, you know, anyway, I mean, he yeah. was, he was a wild card phenomenon he remains one today. It's just, I, I don't know that, that those, I mean, I agree that uh, Pelado is, is a major force in media in Quebec and I don't doubt any of that, but I don't know how much of an effect that can have over the longer term in terms of the CAQ, like at some point, people are going to get tired of whatever government is in power, right, that's going to happen federally with with the liberals, even if they get rid of Trudeau before um, the next election, which I've heard some whispers that, that there's some talk of doing that, because, you know, and all that. Um, so I, I I don't know, but uh, I, I would, um, perhaps out of some hopefulness, because I'm tired of the big red machine that some sort of other option would come up, uh, other than, you know. Um, so we can Well, the the, the different... conservatives
1: are another option. The Canadian Party is another option, but the conservatives—they're—I yeah. mean, their base is basically anti-vaxxers and people that are on the the margins of society. Yeah, and, well, and they're Eric marginalized. Is, I mean, I agree. You know, Eric Jerem has made has made those people yeah, uh, yeah. look look respectable, whereas uh, you know many. Well, of we the shouldn't
0: people that... be. We shouldn't be too flippant. I I, I was
1: appalled that Justin Trudeau um,
0: made these statements about. Bigots and races. And I should be clear. I'm vaccinated. I don't have anything against the vaccine. Sure. But I don't think we should be talking about um, you know, one in five Canadians in that way. I think that's you know, even if it was no, it was 5% of the population. In, 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 we should his say,
1: comments. Well, you know, if they his choose, comments you know. were were intemperate, but I think that the reason for him saying that is that if you read the manifestos of some of those groups, yeah, they I've were, read them. They were, them. you know, they were out yeah. to 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 replace the government, and and you have to worry about if they've got guns in their in their trucks. What are they going to do if they're in, they're confronted? Yeah. So I that's, know that you that's, and I why disagreed. He's, that's why we, he said we what disagreed he did. pretty pretty big yeah. on on the yeah of course we did. But fine. you know I, and, yeah. and, and my, my attitude yeah. is, has, has become a little bit more flexible. Really? Okay. Uh, oh yeah. And and but yeah. but but the thing is that you have to understand that some people in times of stress uh, respond badly. And if they're if they're personally threatened and they they've got oh, a yeah. fairly big ego and we're we're right now we're describing the prime minister that's yeah. the way they're going to react and you yeah. you saw what happened with Michael Wernick I mean he he went off on a whole tangent before the justice committee when he was talking to them about uh, uh, about uh, Jody Wilson right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and about about all this you know assassinations and things like that and I think that um, you know I, I'll tell you. The coolest person I ever saw in my whole life, I think. I mean, well, my father must have been pretty cool during wartime because he certainly was, um, you know, he didn't, he came out of it without too many scars. Um, and he was in combat and he was a leader in combat. Oh, wow. But, yeah. but, the, but the, the, I was at the top of a mountain, 11,000 feet in the middle of a blizzard at the beginning of August, believe it or not, in the Rockies. And we were 300 feet from the summit and we were on a knife edge of uh, Mount Victoria, uh, above lake louise and uh and you know you, the wind could have literally blown us right off the mountain and uh, and the snow is piling up and and the leader of our group was a, a guide named uh, rudy gurch and rudy gurch uh you know we're all sort of huddling around trying to figure out whether we we're going to make pitch make it to try to make it to the summit or whether we would just uh, find a way yeah. to turn back yeah. And, uh, and and we decided that we would we would turn back and we all ended up uh, making it through. But he said, uh, you know, we're, we turned him with what are we going to do? He said, well, you know, one day we'll all look back on this and laugh. <laughs> That's great. And, and you know, what yeah. a great thing to say in the middle of real tension. Yeah. And so we yeah. all had this, you know, kind of gives you hope. We kind of. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think think the response of the Prime Minister was intemperate. He shouldn't have said what he did. And he should have understood that, you know, this is not going to go very well for people who are maybe marginally uh, sceptical and who, who are not supportive of the government. On the other hand, um, there's no, no way that a whole bunch of people should be able to take over the center of the- Well, of the yeah, I, city, I, I don't think that was what was going
0: on. I mean, like just, just to speak to the 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 Freedom Convoy and the, the crazies and all that stuff, there probably is a part of people who are gonna vote for Polyev and people who vote for the PPC and people who are involved in Freedom Convoy who are crazy. And some of them are maybe right wing and all that and everything. But when I look at it, like when I look at a protest of, you know, or let's say people voting for the NDP, right? Let's say some people voting for the NDP. Let's say 5% of them are diehard Marxists or something. Does that mean that the NDP is dangerous? Like, I, I don't see that. I don't like I can't understand how that makes sense. Right. So the same has to apply on the other side, unless you unless I can be proved, unless someone can prove to me that there's more capture of the right than the left and I just don't see evidence for that you know personally but um it's but but I I also would say one more thing about Trudeau I mean I think what Trudeau said was extremely serious I, it was very you know it was it, to to speak so disrespectfully about about such a large swath of people if he specifically said Something like you know, a small subset of this freedom convoy are wacko, and men, some of them maybe are racist. That would have been quite different, but he was sort of categorical about you know it was very, and he never walked it back. And he but, could, and he yeah. could be doing now but he, he pr- could, now he listen, may have had
1: yeah he may he have had more intelligence. Same than thing. Thing. He, he did. could
0: be doing the same thing Francois Legault is doing when he makes a kind of xenophobic content. He could be speaking to his base who who think that they are. You know, that 20% of Canadians are just a bunch of bigots who, you know, or whatever, you know, and, you know, maybe I don't know, I'm not really sure. I,
1: I, I think I think it may have been simply that he saw intelligence reports that said that these people were dangerous. And he, he was also, uh, and, and that they had, and that some of them had certain attitudes. And so, mm-hmm. rather than saying, "Okay, I'm going to keep this to myself," which is what you normally do with intelligence, yeah, he's very uh, impulsive, right? Yeah, he's very exactly, impulsive. yeah, exactly. No, so he said, yeah. these and it's the same thing with Michael Wernick. I mean, Michael Wernick, you know, the prime minister gets 800 uh, death threats a year, or something like that. And so he sees these on a daily basis because the deputy minister to the deputy to the prime minister, and he thinks, "Oh my god." This is indicative of something you know I, I as a city councillor in montreal west i had a couple of death threats and i you know you just well you kind of deal with them and as a and i know that my my minister solicitor general of canada had more death threats than any other minister except for the prime minister because he was responsible for the parole system and then responsible for the ceases and responsible for the uh for the it, correctional it raises, system. So they get, you know, yeah, they ministers they of that, at that level get death threats. That's how it goes. There yeah.
0: seems to be some very, sort of very strong feelings about Trudeau that, that that seem to like, that are very, and it seems to me, you know, we could say that, you know, like I was driving through, you know, uh, Nova Scotia a couple months ago and there was a flag up on the top of a ridge, like someone had put a Nova Scotia flag and I was driving closer and I saw another flag underneath it. You know, those black, yeah, yeah. Trudeau. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw that. And, and I heard, I met a guy in the South shore last year, I was buying gas and on the reserve. And this guy started telling me, he's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to kill him and all this. And he was just a regular guy with a bandana. And I was like, bro, you shouldn't tell me that, man. Like you don't know who I am. And you know, and, and, he, and, he, and he was like, no, I don't care. They know who I am. And all this. And I started to, I started to occur to me this the first time it popped, this kind of really intensely anti-Trudeau thing was actually in 2019 when he went to a campaign rally for that election in Mississauga, Ontario, yeah. and he was he showed up. You may remember this, he showed up like in a bulletproof rate. vest, yes. Yeah, he had all these, he had a bulletproof vest, he had all these RCMP officers surrounding him. But when I read that article, something kind of a little light, like a little bell rang in my head. Like, something's going on in this country. There's a segment of the population that is is really upset. And you know, one way to look at that is maybe they're all just idiots and racists. Maybe they are, but some of them maybe are upset for good reasons. You know, like it's it's very really hard to know what's going on there. I don't think it helps to just say to to the people who you know to the whatever the 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 population who voted for the Conservative Party, you know, you should all just shut up. Like I, that's not helping this this thing. You know, I, that's what that's what that's kind of what I get from the from the Trudeau liberals. Is kind of like it's very, but um. Okay, so you, you have a, a general, um, you, you, your general prediction would be that the, uh, the big red machine would be able to reconstitute itself, which I think is a reasonable prediction, personally. <laughs> I'm talking about here in Quebec.
1: Well, I'll tell but, you, you know, here's yeah. some inside baseball little scoop. When sure. uh, Dominique Anglade came to NDG to announce the, uh, the campaign for uh, Desiree McGraw, she told, or, or, or people told, Desiree that she had to give her speech 80% in French, 20% in English. Mm-hmm. Even though the writing is 80% in English and 20% French. who told her that? Dominic On Glad's. No, people. no, who told who told Anglade that? No, no, it was oh. Dominic Glad's people told Desiree oh, oh, right. That. Pardon me. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so the the point being that that over the last and i think uh nadeau du is dead on he said you know they had the they had the environmental pivot they had the nationalist pivot they had the they had the economic pivot you know they got yeah. the hydrogen no pivot. pivot they can't do it like they they, make exactly busy with all their pivots right <laughs> he said <laughs> right. he said he said you know he said basically you have to stick to your guns and you have to be have represent something you can't be just constantly That's right changing That's right. yourself yeah and so the the liberals basically have got to give, go back to stick to their knitting and they've got to focus on the economy they've got to be a genuinely federalist party they can't be nationalists with their 27 resolutions or whatever now <laughs> no no more than but but the people who are behind the party that are running the party they may say, oh, no, 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 we're on the right track. It's just the population doesn't understand Right, <laughs> right? Yeah. and That that could yeah. be suicidal for them. What they really need to do is they need to go back to that. On the other hand, I think that that, that the Conservative Party may or may not stay. The Canadian Party, I mean, uh, just yeah, yesterday, they, come, they, come they, they got $100,000 from the government, you know, I mean, because they got matching funds. They're going to do, they're going to have money to do what they want. And yeah. so there will be, uh, if, you know, in every I mean, this is a whole political science thing that goes back like 30, 40 years. But in every population, uh, there is a, a. If brokerage parties don't do their job to broker the interests of, of different uh, competing populations, you eventually get representative pop, uh, parties that represent specific interest uh, groups, o- yeah. interest groups yeah. or yeah. ideological right. groups. And that's inevitable. It's inevitable. So if if the Liberal Party cannot operate as a brokerage party, if the CAC can't operate as a brokerage party, then, then they're going to be uh, doomed to end up in a... We're not going to have a pizza parliament like they do in... Uh, in Italy, but we're going to have a lot of coalitions we are going to have a lot of small parties. Yeah, th-
0: that's that's actually another kind of a prediction that could occur. I, I could imagine something like the conservatives teaming up with uh, some other parties somehow. In, in a coalition of some sort, or maybe maybe the Liberals doing that with Quebec Solidaire. I don't know if that could be possible. The PQ in Quebec something something we can't even really predict somehow that would be, I mean, effectively what we've got in Ottawa, we've got a de facto coalition. Right, which that's is right. very, yeah. very yeah, of uh, disappointing yeah. for those of us who who saw that the the you know that that the liberals actually didn't even get the highest number of votes, you know, and now they now they're sure. governing with a majority basically. Yeah. Right? yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so so that's so something like that could was not really predictable, right? Like, no. did anybody predict that you know before last year's election, right, that they would, you know, somehow there'd be a de facto coalition that may sustain them for years? I mean, it's hard to know how long that's going yeah. to yeah right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean something like that in theory could occur too yeah. and yeah. that wouldn't exclude the CAQ the CAQ in theory could team up with some other party in some way we can't imagine as well right
1: uh, uh, it depends it all depends on how the numbers break down That's i don't true. know how you're going to have to uh, you're going to have a hell of a time editing this but uh, no no on. it's straight <laughs> up i run the whole thing Oh my God! Uh, oh yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I like, to, I like to think. I, I don't. I want to. I wanna, so, listen. I'm. I, wanna, I should just explain to you and my listeners as we close that, I, I'm, I'm. What I'm doing is something which is I'm basing it on a podcast, like famous podcasters like Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson, and you know, people who don't do any editing and they just. They, they, it seems like a lot of them, Sam Harris. You know, they just want to have conversations with people. I think you know, and they want to. Do you ever listen the to uh, David Hurley? Uh no no is
1: he a uh, he's really good yeah okay he's yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, the a form... former liberal organizer who does it's something called the Hurley burley okay and there's also the Curse of Politics which is cool. very funny because they swear all the time oh yeah <laughs> and uh, and it's yeah, now an well... it's and it's, it's 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 like basically a conservative a liberal and then Hurley is the, oh yeah uh, is the moderate <laughs> the name uh, but it's familiar very, to very me good.
0: David Hurley well you'd know him
1: because he's yeah. he's organized. He ran Paul Martin's
0: campaigns. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's basically what I'm trying to do is follow this model because I see enormous disenchantment with a lot of the mainstream media outlets in Canada. And then you see the government sending money to them, right? Which is not a good sign in my view. Like, I mean, in terms of keeping things independent. So you see a kind of a bifurcation in the media diet of most people. You see... Kind of the, the so-called MSM, you know, CBC and the other outlets. And then you see these sort of other things like Rebel and other stuff. And also other, um, you know, kind of like independent people that are just individuals that are providing. And, and I mean, I I just, my the, the, the byline of this podcast is, you know, I, I want to get to the truth right that's my that's my goal and i know that's always a search right it's it's you never get to the actual you don't actually arrive there you just sort of the conversations maybe expose us and make us less stupid and ignorant right (laughs) you know that's my hope anyway so is there anything else you'd like to add before we uh close anything any you want to plug your party you want to (laughs) do
1: no i think well I, i think that 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 with the task force um, we're oh, off. Oh yeah, I wanted to ask you. Can you describe yeah. what that is? Because you mentioned that earlier, and I don't yeah. know what that is. So maybe you. Okay. Can so the me task force and was, yeah. the task force on linguistic policy was established in um, uh, 2020 in order to uh, respond to uh, the emergence of, of, of Bill 96 and uh, and what we thought at the time was uh, a a need for a, a, a more independent group of people who are not. Tied to federal or provincial funding, right. because most of the organizations that deal with uh, uh, linguistic challenges well, that's are, a conflict are, of are,
0: interest, right? I mean, that's well, it, it sort of is. I mean, it's going to it's, gonna it, have it's kind
1: of it's kind yeah. of weird. I mean, the I, I I I think I have a great regard for the QCGN and we're not competing with them. We're trying to complement them, but mm-hmm. what what they have they've they got a real problem in that they 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 in one on the one hand they and they sent out a release just last week saying how glad they were to see that the federal government was going to be spending I know 2.5 billion dollars over the next five years on official language minorities in Canada which would mean that they would get funding and so would a lot of other organizations and it would encourage uh, uh, minority uh, language groups from you know to 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 flourish uh, both francophone minorities outside Quebec and the Anglophone minority inside Quebec so this is all very very good and then they turn around and the next thing they say is well you know we're we're totally against the, uh, the, uh, 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 the 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 Bill C13, which is going to provide an asymmetrical asymmet- approach to, uh, to to languages, and you know that's a, a, a real hassle. <laughs> right. So they uh, so they've 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 done this in, in uh, uh, and and they you know so it's kind of contradictory. You know, So uh, okay. Uh, so, anyway, so, you, so, so that you're, you're, so our organiza- right. the organization was established um, of volunteers, uh, funded by volunteers and established in order to uh, try to fight both Bill 96 and Bill C-13. Okay, and
0: right. we've got a lot of
1: people. We've got thousands of people on our website. We've got uh, 800 members. We've raised over $30,000 in our first year. And we're gonna go for another uh, tranche with a major fin- fundraising uh, approach uh, this year with the hope that we're gonna be able to establish a permanent secretariat rather than just being volunteers. And we're doing a presentation to both the House of Commons um, and the uh, Senate committees on uh, bill C13 wow. and, uh, and and the, the document is brilliant it was written by two uh, two lawyers and constitutional experts that are part of our group and uh, I think people will be very very pleased and surprised at the the quality of the of the discourse and we're going to continue to uh, uh, to uh, fight the bill 96 in right. court right. we're trying to rally lawyers together to to uh, to to organization. organize services and stuff like well that. The, and and we're and because oh, we're a nonprofit uh, as compared to other organizations we can actually apply to the court challenges program and we can wow. find plaintiffs wow. who will who will say how they are affected by right. the law right. so uh, we've got you know by being a nonprofit we can we first of all we don't have charitable status but we can raise any amount of money uh, without any limits so that's number one number two because we're a nonprofit. And we're independent. We don't have to rely on government funding. And uh, number three, we can apply for any uh, project funding or court challenges pr- funding without any restraints on on who we are.
0: Right.
1: And 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 we can re- group individuals together uh, rather than it being organizations because the QCGN, for example, deals with organizations, not with individuals. What well, what we're doing is we're we're representing individuals. And, and the people that and and the the philosophy of the organization is very much one of bilingualism in Canada, of support for minority communities outside of Quebec, and for recognition that uh, that that not everybody has to be bilingual, but it's something that we would like to everybody to aspire to. But at the same time, that services in English or services in French are what is the litmus test of what uh, what is a uh, uh, good governance to be right. able to provide those services to people wherever they are in either language, and that's something that we want to encourage. This is this is great. I just want to say just a couple things about that. Yeah. It's
0: great that sort of like citizens getting together doing these things. I think is great. So I think it's like that sort of civic implication involvement is really, really cool. And we're seeing this on all sorts of fronts uh, in Canada today. I think there's, I think there's a lot of people organizing like this more than than is understood. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to see all these things going on because they don't always make it into the mainstream media. There's a number of, I can think of a number of other cases where there's one, one case that you may be aware of where there's um, a group of different Canadians and business people who've gotten together to try and um, challenge the, the COVID-19 things in court. Like some of the statements by the government that have turned out to be false and all this. And they've done this all through the court system. They're using, it's, it's, there's two ways you can contest things in court. You can go in front of like live or you can do it by affidavits with lawyers and all that. And they're doing it like that. And this, this is a whole case where they've exposed all these things that are just frightening about things that were done during last year's election. And this is only making it into the Telegraph and the UK ran a story about this. Um, there's a, a, a medium called Substack, which is an American. Yeah, I'm computer, familiar with yeah. Substack. Yeah. Right, and they're running it. So, I mean, like, there are people that are sort of doing things like this that, that is, uh, you know that, that I think are really great. Now, I want to just, you know, just to close, I want to wish you good luck. Um, on that, and I, I want to thank you for uh, coming on the podcast. It's just been absolutely
1: great to uh, to have you. Well, we're trying I mean I think that what what our group is trying to do is we're representing a real mainstream feeling among francophones and Anglophones across the country and um, and and articulating it. and I, and 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 it's not that we we think that uh, that the for example, the QCGN organizations outside, of quebec are are doing a uh, aren't doing a good job it's just that we feel that there's a niche that uh yeah. individuals should be able to come forward well i and, think that and, and so who knows i mean yeah. I, I i'm actually planning on meeting with the qcgn soon, and we're really sharing okay. information okay. with them so right uh you know it's it's uh yeah. i think that there's a there's a world in which we can we yeah. can be as i say quite uh complimentary rather than being convenient
0: I think so. Main, so-called mainstream opinion is not that well represented in our um, institutions these days, it's like in, in like a big media structures. I, mean, I just find I think a lot of people are like listen to the CBC, for example, sort of scratching their heads, like what is all this stuff? You know, <laughs> and, and you know, it's kind of like I think there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of sort of people in Canada who are kind of like what you and I would call mainstream, who are not that well represented. I think, and I think it's really good that you're working on trying to bring that together
1: i, th- I think I, I congratulate. well i i i hope so i hope yeah. so I, and i and i i don't think that uh, I, I i think that the people that we represent are people that uh, are of, of of good faith and who want to see you know progress in society but they feel that they've been left out and yeah, uh, yeah. and and so we're trying to represent them that's good all right well thanks again anyway, okay yeah. Yeah. yeah and um next and... time we'll do it in french
0: okay all right i'll see you <laughs> okay take care Thank you for listening to today's guest on the Mega Blast podcast. I've been your host, Jason McDonald. This podcast is brought to you by Arts and Opinion, an online journal, which is also available in the permanent archives of Visit us online at heartsandopinion.com.